On today's show. How is Billy Corgan? Like, how is he not worshipped like the Beatles, the Stones? Howard welcomes alt-rock icons and two-time Grammy winners, Smashing Pumpkins. Am I crazy or is that guy just a fucking brilliant genius that doesn't get enough respect? How excited am I? The Smashing Pumpkins are here. Why am I in a good mood? Because uh, today we're going to talk to a genius. Me. Me. No, not Robin. Me. We know she's a genius. I'm talking about uh, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins. Love that guy. I, uh, I will bring up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not that it means anything, but... Do you think Billy cares? Have we asked him that question? I, I think we have, but it's worth revisiting because I get worked up about it all the time. There are certain people who should be honored in rock and roll. Uh, this guy, you know, this is the string version of this song. In other words, uh, there's no vocal. This is just the string arrangement he put into this song. And if it doesn't move you, I don't know what, what would. Most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Listen to that. That's the string arrangement for tonight. Tonight, the guy's a genius, and he he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I guess, because who else would be in it? The guys make great rock songs. Uh, being a disc jockey in the '90s on an alternative rock station, um, you know, Nirvana. Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, and, uh, you know, those are the those are the ones. When, when I die, I know as I enter the gates of heaven, uh, this will be playing. I will hear this as uh, Howard Stern at the end of his life enters the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. I will see... His Holiness, and I will be nude, and I will have a big penis. Finally. His who? Who are you going to see? His Holiness? Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the music I hear when I make love to my wife. This is the music Wendy hears when she eats the McRib. I didn't get one letter about Wendy yesterday. I thought her appearance was... Listen to this. Oh. That's the, that's what's going on in Billy Corgan's head. What's going on in your head this morning? Nothing. Nothing. Unless you're Sal and you're making a, a new business <laughs> with horseshit flowers. <laughs> Beautiful. No, well, definite Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's insane. I I, I voted for uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but his name wasn't even on it. But anyway, I'm always anxious to talk to Billy. There's so much to always talk to him about. He's brutally honest and interesting. And you know I love musicians, Robin. You know oh, I love you them. do. I do. I think they're the greatest. I'm telling you. Beautiful. Greater than scientists? Well, scientists are number one. You know, this is the sound that plays out of Emily Ratajkowski's vagina every time uh, she takes her pants off. Makes love to 
Harry Styles. You know, did you see, did you read that she's now with Harry Styles? Yes. And then I thought she was with Eric Andre. She was his secret crush. He just said that. And the next thing you know, she was in his bed. <laughs> I've said that about many women. And uh, no one ends up in my bed. But, uh, yeah, uh, Harry Styles called me and told me he took off Emily Ratajkowski's pants, and this started playing right out of her vagina. <laughs> this beautiful music started. Yeah, her, her cervix is a blue... Music. Yes, honey. Her cervix is a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> uh, must be great. What is Eric right, Andre right. doing now? Is he crying? <laughs> <laughs> Eric Andre. Like, well, he... that was uh, reality slapping him in the face. He had a couple of minutes of heaven, but, you know, when Harry Styles says, listen, I want your woman, I think uh, that's the, the party's over. But all right. He had a party for a few minutes. Yeah. No, um, Harry Styles called me and told me butterflies come out of Emily Ratajkowski's vagina when this when, when you pull down her pants and this song is playing. <laughs> and then you get sex. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I'd last too long with her. Pussy is awesome. Pussy is the greatest. The greatest. Pussy is the greatest thing on the planet. There's no doubt in my mind. And you know what? If I'm Eric Andre, I'm smiling this morning because Harry Styles is You're getting my sloppy. Yeah. No, Harry Styles getting my sloppy seconds, and uh, I'm okay with that. That's the, hey man, I was there first. Fuck you. Well, you it's know important what Harry guys. will say. Oh, well, you know, I don't know, though, because Eric Andre's pretty big, isn't big, he? Big, big and thick, and Harry will be like, well, you broke her in for me. And then uh, <laughs> Eric Andre will say, that's right, pal. Because <laughs> there's that old joke, you know. Uh, hey, uh, I'm begging your wife. How's that? Uh, I'm banging your ex-wife. Uh, how's that for you? He says, it's fine once I get past the used part. <laughs> oh, hey, Dice. What's up? This fucking Emily Ratajkowski broad. She's slobbing everybody's knob except mine. Come on. I'm the fucking Dice Man here. I sold out Madison Square fucking Garden. How do yeah. I get this broad to drink? You're not going to get her. Like She's top notch. Come on already. Come on. You think every woman's available to the Dice Man. You, you know, listen. I just want to know how do I get this broad to nibble my balls and slurp <laughs> down my cock's not come on already well just because you dice clay doesn't mean you can get her i mean he's uh, funny what's wrong with him right well he's evidently jokes in this funny i got a great yeah, fucking yeah. Help him out. <laughs> i helped him out i helped him out <laughs> help me out uh it's too early for this shit anyway um <laughs> Thank you, Dice. No, uh, yeah, she's, uh, well, listen, I mean, I don't blame her. I mean, I, I love Eric Andre. Don't get me wrong, but Harry Styles, you got to go if he's coming calling. You know what I mean? You got to. You got to. You got to follow that story. And then there was a big picture in the New York Post of uh, Emily Ratajkowski and Harry Styles kissing, and people were being critical. They felt Harry doesn't kiss well, that his positioning in the picture didn't look as if it was romantic enough or 
I don't know what, I didn't understand why they were criticizing him. Hey, last night was a big night for me. I um, I was up late. If I sound a little cranky and um, tired, I, I was watching the finale of The Bachelor. Never disappoint. <laughs> and, um, you know, I uh, have to admit, I went to bed. My wife and I had a plan. Because we get up early, we couldn't stay up for the whole thing. So we watched up until the point where we found out who he rejected and who he picked it was down to two women uh-huh. so as soon as as soon as we learned who he picked and who you know who he rejected actually he learned first so we went to bed and we made a plan i said honey if i wake up to pee let me wake you up and we'll uh we're gonna we're gonna watch the end of the bachelorette because i don't want any i don't want i don't want it spoiled for me and she went okay I said, God, if anybody ever heard this conversation, we are such douchebags. She goes, you know what? You're my douchebag. And I said, that is the most romantic thing. I'm going to brag on the air how you said to me, I'm your douchebag. Douche. <laughs> it was so romantic. Honey, you're my douchebag. I waited my whole life to hear that from a woman. <laughs> I'm making plans so I can see the end of the uh, Bachelor. Well. So this morning, I woke up about uh, 4.45 a.m., which I figured could give me 45 minutes to see the end of The Bachelor. But my wife is still sleeping away. So I go, <clears throat> like this. Because <clears throat> I don't want to wake her up, but she's I do. She's not waking up. <laughs> no, she's always up before me. But she's like, <clears throat> like, I, was like <clears throat> I was trying to do my best Gary <clears throat> Delabate impression. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm doing that over and over again. Nothing. She doesn't stir. I go, I can't believe this. So then I poked her thigh. And she still didn't move. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, what do I have to do? Light firecrackers? I mean, what's going on here? Let's get the show going. So what did you do? How how did you? I got up to pee. And then I kind of huffed and puffed my way back into bed. She goes, she goes, uh, she wakes up like all like dopey, you know. She was like, uh, um, uh, "Do you want to? What, what's going on?" I go, "The Bachelor. We we, we got forty five minutes." Oh, um, uh, 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 why didn't you wake me? I go, "Wake you? I'm over here. <laughs> I, I, I practically shit in the bed trying to get <clears> you <throat> up." <clears throat> <laughs> you didn't hear me clearing my throat. <clears throat> so anyway, I. Uh, we got up and um uh, we put on the bachelor and boy to my excitement i don't know if you saw the ending robin but no i won't i won't spoil it for those who didn't but um jesse palmer the host said um he mentioned beth and myself as part of bachelor really? nation yes and the fact that we got the chills when uh, he picked the new bachelorette charity and um, and Beth and I were absolutely ashamed and felt violated. You were publicly <laughs> shamed. I swear to God. <laughs> oh, it drove me crazy, the Shame. finale. The girl who didn't get picked Shame. was saying, you know, she felt violated because he revealed to the world that he fucked her. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, you know, he didn't need to do that. She She felt a little strange about it. Lovely girl and everything, but 
because she got a lot of issues. I mean, she's a young girl and she's already complained. Nobody loves me. Everybody chooses me second best. Oh, nobody loves me. I'm a honey. You're 23 years old. Someone will love you. Calm down. You got a kick-ass little body. And, uh, you know. No, she's right. Nobody's ever going to love her. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I mean, these girls are desperate in their 20s. No one's going to love her. I go, Relax. Relax. But she was ashamed because the guy admitted that he fucked her in the fantasy, uh, fantasy suite. Fantasy suite. Uh, so she was ashamed. She said, we agreed you weren't going to announce that I fu- that we fucked. And he went right on TV and said, we got fucked. We fucked. He doesn't realize women get embarrassed. You know, we still have those old stereotypes. Guys like, yeah, I fucked. And then the women are like, I don't want people to know I fucked. I don't want to need my father seeing this. She doesn't want her future husband. You've thrown her off. Yeah. <laughs> she got to go find somebody else, and you're ratting her out. Well, this guy, Zach's kind of a douchebag. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to stay with him very long, even the girl who chose him. He, go, he goes, they go, they go and they fuck in the fantasy suite. And he says, this stays between us. And the next morning, he's running around telling everybody he fucked her. What a douche. And this chick gave it out to him right on live TV. Crying the whole thing. What do you, she goes, I feel violated. I felt like I was in court. I think she's going to take him to court, maybe. <laughs> Meanwhile, they never blame the Bachelor show. You know, you can't go on the Bachelor and expect to have privacy. Well, if somebody actually tells you they're not going to say anything. Yeah, well. Oh, he was proud. I mean, he he let Jesse Palmer smell his fingers. (laughs) I'll prove to you I fucked her. But anyway, uh, it's the old adage. You put out, you fuck a guy, and then he's like, eh, you know, I tried that already. Let me go with the other one. See how she fucks. You know. Then it was embarrassing. I guess they were running out of time, and the woman was complaining about what he did. He told everyone he fucked her, and and then they were running out. They had to go to commercial. They go, sorry, got to cut you off now. <laughs> it was pretty wild. But, you know, that's a ABC. That's a Disney company runs The Bachelor, and it's pretty wild. Do you think Walt Disney would be pleased to know that they have a little room no. for fucking? Walt Disney is face down in his grave <laughs> with what they've done with Disney. He's like, his ass is up. He's like, what, what do you mean? We have a TV show where young people go and fuck each other to try out the goods? Where's Minnie Mouse? What, is she blowing goofy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I watched. So, so this morning we got up and Jesse Palmer goes, I wish I had tape of it. Do we have tape of that? Where she goes. Yeah, why wouldn't you pull tape of him talking about you? She goes, uh, she go, he goes, well, even Howard and Beth Stern had goosebumps when we chose the new bachelorette. And he's right. We did. And that's when I said, I'm a douchebag. And my wife goes, you're my douchebag. <laughs> and I was so proud. Anyway, I, it's okay. We don't have to play the tape. Don't, don't, don't knock yourselves out. I got this. Hey, you know, uh, by the way, last night I was going through um, some stuff. Maybe it was in the email. What was that tape, Gary, of uh, 
David Lee Roth, does he have a podcast now? David Lee Roth of Van Halen? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's what it is. He's, he, was, he was on, yeah, I think it was a podcast. He was on a podcast. And I thought, I thought David didn't like me anymore, but he said very lovely things about me. And I was yeah. pleased. Oh, that's that, nice. I was really glad to hear it. The guys played me a clip of David Lee Roth, the legendary David Lee Roth, one of the greatest front men ever. And I've always worshipped David Lee Roth. I used to go see them at concert. I used, I saw them, I mean, back in Detroit, as far back as when I was working in Detroit in the 80s. I was a Van Halen fan, and it was nothing short of spectacular, those guys. Alex, Are you sure this was a recent... Recording this. This wasn't old. I, I don't know anything recent. about it. I, I oh. was questioning it myself. I said, "Is this recent?" Because I thought David didn't like me anymore. I, I really thought that we were on the outs, and I, nothing upset me more than that. I, I love the guy. You know, I'm a huge Sammy Hagar fan, and I love even the music Sammy's putting out now. But I love both of them. I yeah. think I think the David Lee Roth Van Halen was mind blowing. I got nothing but love for the man. I mean, how could you hate David Lee Roth? I mean, some of the best music I've ever heard. The combination of Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, and David Lee Roth was just fucking mind-blowing. And it really actually pained me that David uh, was angry with me. This is the guy who sang Hot for Teacher. Enough said. I mean, good lord! How could how could you? Who would want that guy hating you? But I don't know. I must have done something where I thought that he didn't like me. But then I, he he gave me much love. Where's that clip? And when is it from? What is the date on that clip? I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of people hate me, but you don't want David Lee Roth. You don't mind them hating you. It was David Lee Roth that hurt. I heard it. All right, turn that off for a second, Fred. Uh, <laughs> we, we played two David Lee Roth songs and never got no to David, David Lee Roth. Lee Roth. <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually, you know what happens. He comes in and he sings. No, but I was very pleased to hear this. And, uh, and um, Gary, can you tell me when this clip is from or does no one know? We're working on it. We're working on working it. It's within, on it. You're working on it. Well, I'm glad you're working this morning. Thank you. <clears throat> busy. How can you pull a clip and not know when it's Baba from? Fooey Pooey. Baba Fooey Pooey. You're right. Baba Fooey Pooey. <laughs> off off off. Pooey. Pooey Poopy Booey. Pooey Poopy. Poopy Dooey. Pooey. It's from poopy, three weeks booey. ago. Oh, three good. weeks ago. Good. Uh, well, I'm so thrilled to hear this. I, I, I'll share it with you. Uh, David Lee Roth, and, and by the way, I'm not playing this clip for you because I necessarily agree with David Lee Roth about this and about me, but I'm excited that he is feeling good about me. Yes. Here is we David haven't Lee Roth. seen him in a very long time. Yeah, and it, it, it did upset me. I would sometimes say to people around here, and Robin, I would say, you know, gee, I just feel so awful that I've hung out with him, you know, on, on some occasions, and I've find the guy delightful uh in fact when i left k-rock uh, david took over our show and i was like wow the lead singer of van halen's taking over I, mean, I must be an important you're, dude you're being followed by david lee roth yeah i mean i was like tickled 
I was like, this is such an honor. You know, the only guy who can follow me is David Lee Roth. So anyway, here here's David talking about me. Howard Stern, tell me if you agree, Tom should be in the Hall of Fame. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I don't mean the producer-director part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, he should be right up front with the rest of us here because he's a performer. And he's got one of the most difficult performing jobs ever. You know, uh, most singers in rock bands will tell you that the most difficult part of the job live is talking in between the songs. Ask James Hetfield, for example, in Metallica. I'm sure he'll tell you that the singing comes way easier than to what to say, at what time, when, in between the songs, especially if you're being very, very right now, if it's not rehearsed. He'll tell you, in between the songs, most difficult part of the whole show. And that's all Howard does. He never actually does songs. Howard belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's got one of the most difficult jobs ever. Makes it look spontaneous. That's the part. From, that's the fun part of it. Robin is in there, and Howard's a performer. He's presented music in a way that four Bill Grams and three Ronnie Delsners can only dream of to millions and millions of people. You know what? I guess if you hear a little bit of Howard in my own riff and tone, I've been a lifelong fan. So. I have that bias. If uh, I'm not the first one to say it, I want to be the next one to say it even louder. Let's do this right, guys. Don't Charlie Chaplin this guy. Beautiful nice. speech. I mean, you talk about uh, a compliment. I was the first one to say it. Maybe it was Baba Booey. Baba Booey actually was. You were the second <laughs> one and David's the third. But, uh, well, hey, you know what? I will go accept if uh, I am ever inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nothing I would have uh, ever imagined. Oh. Um, well, I got to, I mean, come on, but, but, you know, here's the thing. It pleases me because, uh, you know, I got mad love for David Lee Roth. I can remember, and I always talk about this. I've said it a million times on the air. I was, uh, working for Viacom. And so I was invited to the MTV music awards and, um, I was, you know, there was no one more charismatic than David Lee Roth. I was watching the MTV Music Awards live and David entered the room. It was a big auditorium and he was going to his seat. I guess Van Halen, you know, was going to receive nine million awards that night because their videos were so creative and great. And David walks in and he's dressed to the nines and he had the long flowing hair and the whole thing. And I looked at this guy. Go, You can't take your eyes off this guy. He's he's the uh, quintessential frontman. Good looking. He's got this great band. Every last woman on earth wants to fuck this guy. And I'm just watching him walk through the room. And it's as if there was no one else in the room. He was that captivating. Captivating the way a beautiful woman could be captivating. You know what I mean? It's just. Oh, sure. just and I remember sitting there going, man, what must it like to have, you know, to have that fucking career? You're the front man for Van Halen. You got the look, you got the fucking songs, you got the whole deal. And uh, it was you quite captivating. You look like a model and you can write and sing songs. Yeah, and you can get along with Eddie Van Halen. So uh, <laughs> that that's no easy trick. <laughs> that that so was then, the big feat. And, you know, it, it was a funny thing. Uh the other incident, and I've talked about this a lot of times, I was a disc jockey in Detroit and Van Halen blew into town and I happened to end up on the same floor in the hotel with them. Don't ask how, it's a long story and it's not all that interesting, but 
Jesus Christ, what the girls banging on my door thinking I was David Lee Roth, <laughs> that, that they were thinking that my room was David Lee Roth. And I go, no, I'm just Howard Stern. They're like, who? <laughs> Where's David? And the You're not third even story with was the band. <laughs> in that same hotel, I was walking by David's room. The door was open. There was like 25 handlers, people, whoever. It was like a crazy scene in that room. David just stepped out of the shower. He was in a towel. And I just happened to be walking by. I was going to go do the mornings on W4 in Detroit. And holy mackerel, there's this guy standing. I go, look at the scene in his room. I'm going to go do my dopey radio show that no one's listening to in Detroit. Alone and the, the, in a house. And the, yeah. Oh, and not one. You know, like, and women are passing me in the hall, like half naked going, do you know where David's room is? <laughs> but, uh, man, it was rock and roll. I saw it up close. And, of course, the performances were nuts with that band and the the albums, the videos. Good Lord. And uh, anyway, so I'm I'm just happy to hear that. Yeah, because you've, you've lamented on these airwaves several times. Your regret if you've done something to Offend turn them off. Yeah, yeah, I must have done something because uh, we, 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 I think he was angry with me. I don't know. Maybe I made that up well, in my head. Well, he got over it without even okay. a discussion. All right. And uh, interesting, uh, when he says it, no offense to you or Gary, but when he says <laughs> I should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I start to believe it. Well, you work with Excuse him. Excuse me? No. no one's going to take you seriously on that. <laughs> you know. I made a good argument. You made a good argument, but, you know, you're my girlfriend, so they're not going <laughs> to listen to you. Oh, you. <laughs> you know. Oh, here's the bachelor shouting. Here, here, I'll show you. This is for your Silver. bachelor had a good... shout out. I got the David Lee Roth shout out and I got the bachelor shout out. I'm feeling pretty positive about myself. Let me see if I can find it. Let's see. Bachelor shout out. Okay, here we go. It has been a wild night. Well, now that we've sent another bachelor couple into their bright future, it's time now to turn to our new bachelorette, Charity. Her reveal as bachelorette was so emotional, it was so powerful, that he even gave Howard Stern and his wife Beth goosebumps, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which shout-out was better. I think the David one, because I'm such a rock and roll uh, uh, Yeah, fan, I'm going to ignore this one. I'm going to pretend <laughs> this I, I did say to my wife, oh my God, we are douchebags. Publicly, we've been violated. That's humiliating. And she goes, you're my douchebag. And I go, honey, that's the most romantic thing you've ever said to me. Thank you. I'm Beth Dewsbag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that works at home. Doesn't work out here. <laughs> I went to bed last night telling my <laughs> wife about Sal. I said, I got to tell you something. Sal told a story on the air. I asked him about his mother-in-law. And he went to this thing about how he started a business with horseshit flowers and sending shit to people's homes as a business. And he put his mother-in-law's address down. She goes, what? Is he making that up? I go, no, it's real. It's his real life. She goes, that's insane. But anyway, so he many people wrote in. He genius if he was making that up. He's not a genius. <laughs> no, he's a moron. Um, <laughs> here, I've just from the uh, fan mail, a lot of people wrote in about Sal. There is no way Sal asked for his wife's parents' blessing before proposing to her. I always assumed he somehow hid the depths of his idiotic brain long enough to get hitched, but today I learned otherwise. Here they yeah, wrote I in don't about know the how that marriage moved forward. He's doing all that stuff, and they're still planning a wedding. 
Howard, a business delivering horseshit is a funny idea if you joke about it and you don't actually do it. And you definitely don't use your mother-in-law's contact information when you promote it. Turns out Sal is the horse-tooth jackass, not Gary. <laughs> yes, Sal is a fucking piece of work. Um, anyway, uh, Sal is an endless source of inspiration for songs. Here's a new one about his stupidity that was uh, put together. It's quite brilliant. Thought I'd share it with you this morning. It's always good to hear Sal's an idiot song. This is Jay and Roddy called uh, uh, Dumb God. Sal's such a dumb guy. I feel like the spirit world paralyzes animals. Sal's such a dumb guy. In what country did the Great Potato Famine take place? Idaho. Sal Gavinelli, he talks to squirrels. I'm the perfect idiot. Sal's such a dumb guy. There's one syllable in apple. Ugh. <laughs> Chubbs, you're on the air in Oklahoma, fabulous Oklahoma. What's happening, Chubbs? Hey, now. How are you, sir? Hey, now. So um, I just wanted to call and tell you a story. I found out a few years ago that my dad isn't actually my biological father. And Yeah, uh, you know what? I, uh, it's funny you say that. I used to pray that someone would give my dad a DNA test, and I'd find out he wasn't my biological father. But it never happened. For me. It turns out, I think he was actually my father. Yeah, you really were his son. <laughs> well, yeah, because I don't think anyone else was fucking my mother. I mean, I never had that feeling that like my mom was seducing other men. Uh, yeah. So, what's your point? You found out your dad wasn't your real dad, and where are we at with that, Chubbs? Well, same thing. I, I honestly, I didn't really get along with the guy. Never really had a connection. He said a bunch of crazy racist stuff to my wife probably six, seven years ago. So honestly, <laughs> I, I, I kind of cut the relationship off. And I want to say it was two, three years ago. I felt bad and I reached out to him and I was like, hey, kind of feels bad that you don't care about me at all. And, you know, I have to reach out to you on Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving. And he texted me back and let me know, hey, it's actually not my fault. It's your mom who's lied to you for 32 years because I'm not your dad. So I was like, well, hey, let's get a DNA test and prove it if this is actually the truth. And he was like, I'll pay for it. So I actually host a radio show here in Tulsa. So I called my mom on the air, asked her if it was true. Uh, she said that there's, she goes, Jacob, I know who I slept with. I know who I had sex with. I'm not lying to you. Uh, after getting a DNA test, totally, she's lying to me. Uh, he was... Definitely not my dad. Um, and, you know, I, I just I called her again. I go, Mom, I just want the truth. Just who is he? And she said it could only be one other guy. So it went from zero chance to now one other guy. And the, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's how it goes. Don't uh, tell me I'm your dad. I'm not going to I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. Uh, and I asked who my dad was, and she ended up saying it was her old high school teacher. Uh, whoa, from when she was in, in high school. So he is now passed away. She told me he's dead, but I know his brother's on Facebook. And I'm like, well, that's great. Thanks for knowing all this now. My wife. First of all, out. first of all, fabulous radio. I don't know where you're doing radio, but that's. Yeah, Howard, great. we feel let down. You I know. <laughs> I know. No you, you called, I mean, Robin, not since. Not since I called Fred's mom to find that she enjoyed anal did I, did right. I hear such good radio. Uh, Chubbs, where, where do you, in other words, where did this occur? On regular radio or an internet yep. show? What? Where did it occur? Yep. Good old terrestrial radio in wow. Oklahoma. Are you the morning man? Yes, sir. And you got on and you called your mom 
And you said, Mom, I don't believe that I am, uh, you know, my, my dad is my real dad. And, and right. you confronted her. Boy, oh, boy. I did. And I, I, I told her, I go, it, it makes no sense that he'd be willing to pay for a DNA test. It's like almost $200 after 32 years for no point other than proving you wrong. And uh, she was like, I'm telling you, Jacob, there's no way. Uh, How so pissed it, are you? How pissed you know, are you? That your mom lied to you all these years and you could have met your real father. And how pissed are you that your real father, if he knew, didn't want to meet you? Well, that's this weird game that you start to play and then you start to go, you know, someone told me a long time ago that you start in your head, you create this perfect scenario and it's almost better that he did pass away because who knows? Then I would know, hey, maybe he did. Hello? Where'd he go? He, he, he disconnected. Yeah. Well, we got the story anyway. I don't need to hear much more. But, uh, hey, well done. Calling your mom. Let's call my mom and confront her about whether my dad was my real dad. <laughs> it could uh, only be one person. <laughs> I confronted my mom on the air and said um, I wanted to know what position my mom was in when she had me. Did she do doggy right. style? But she didn't come clean about that. Oh, no. You couldn't get the anal question answered? You couldn't I get asked her. She goes, that, what are you talking about with anal? I don't do that. Oh, this guy's back. Yeah, we got the story, Chubbs. Is your name Sorry, Chubbs? Gary or hung up on me. Oh, Gary hung up on you? No, I'm just kidding. I think it was my signal. There was a cruise ship near. <laughs> oh, you're the cruise All right. ship guy. <laughs> no, no, <I'm> yeah. <laughs> well, Chubbs, uh, good for you doing uh, uh, good radio there. Some great okay. radio, yeah. Great radio. I'm well, proud of you. And, uh, oh, thank you, sir. You well, know, it, it was your, ironic. I, I was putting, your personal, I... putting your personal pain on the air is always the best. If you're you know, going to have pain... I Best have been to use it on the air, yeah. I have been humiliated almost my entire life, which has led to a <laughs> treasure trove of stories and and stuff that I can point out. That's I mean, the idea. My God. Yep, that's the idea. Point it all out, man. Don't be proud. Now he's down well, to revealing he's a douchebag. Like, yeah, I had know. a reveal last night I'm a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm ever in Oklahoma, I'm going to listen to you, Chubbs. Please do. And I have to tell you, the, the craziest part of the story is I ended up finding out who he was, and my wife reached out to my uncle on Facebook. Uh, he told me, hey, if that really is my nephew, do a 23 in me. That's where I'm on, and we'll link his family. If that really is his dad, we'll know that way. So uh, did a 23 in me, found out he is my uncle, uh, reached out to him. He sent me a message and said, hey, it's not every day you end up waking up and you gained a nephew. But hey, here in the meantime, here's an article about your dad that BuzzFeed did before he passed away. So BuzzFeed did an article on my dad on how, uh, I guess when he was 18, he went around and he was best friends with uh, Jimmy Vaughn. Uh, he was or Stevie Ray and best friends with um, the guys from ZZ Top, Frank Beard. And uh, they ended up going on the road and they had their own band and they toured as the fake zombies. And then they ended up finding out, you know, my dad, when they got back from the road, he said it was brutal from what I've read. And uh, he decided Hold to leave on the band. A You're saying a lot of shit here that I got to learn about. Sorry, I know. Number one, how about your real dad 
was your mom's school teacher and he fucked his student. What about that? Yeah, I don't know about the ages and all. Well, you allegedly, know, I don't know what it was, was right when she graduated. Oh, it always is. Oh, always present. is. Always <laughs> is. Well, luckily, you're just graduating, so I can't go to jail. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but but anyway, and then your dad, your your biological dad, who you never met, was on the road with fa- the fake zombies. Like you got. <laughs> That's a great plan. I love that. I should do that. Yeah, I'm in the zone. I'm in Argent. Uh, yeah, hi. I'm Ron Argent. Uh, you know, you pick a band that nobody knows what they look like. Like, who knows who's in the zombies? You know what I mean? Well, and I think that was the reason why they did it is they were, it was Frank Beard and, um, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy in ZZ Top. He passed away recently. Um, well, yeah, Frank Beard was, Frank Beard was the drummer and the bass player just died. His name was Dusty. Yes, Dusty. And they all grew up together and they were best friends. So they went on the road and my dad had uh, stories and pictures from when Jimi Hendrix joined them. Uh, all these pictures of them on the wow. road. I know. And it, it's really cool to see this article. Uh, and I guess he had some of these guitars, but whenever they got back from the road, it was apparently too grueling. Uh, and then that's when my dad decided, hey, I'm not going to do this. I want to lead a career in teaching. I want to go to college. So your mom, uh, your mom, so he fucks your mom, knocks her up. I guess she was married because I she, blamed, so, yes. she blamed you. She, you mean she just got out of high school? She already had a husband? And she, it's well, Oklahoma. Your mom's, no, <laughs> fuck, man. That ain't New York. New York, you know, you're 30, you start thinking about getting married. I mean, so your mom fucks her high school teacher just when she's graduating, but she's got a husband. And, and she tells the husband that it's his baby and the teacher uh, takes off. Wow. Fuck me. That's and some I, story. And- from what I understand, I mean, I don't think that he ever knew because my mom said that she never knew. So she never got to tell him. She, I ended up finding out I had a brother who's a few years younger than me. Um, but yeah, was your mom, was got, your mom hot? God, no. Um, why are all these guys fucking her? You know, I'm not going to lie. I guess she is. I mean, she's, she's pretty for a hippie older lady. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I'm guess. saying back in the day, you saw pictures of your mom. Yeah. She probably was a yeah, flower was. child. Would she have a she hot was. body? Was she your big titties? I mean, she, you know, I wouldn't say big titties. Maybe like a C cup. Nothing. Oh, that's big, no, pal. No back Robin. in the day, the, before breast <laughs> implants, true. you got somebody with a C cup. You married her. Are you crazy? That's true. She was Pamela was, Anderson then. Yeah, there was very few C cups. I'm talking about now. She was now, the Pamela Anderson of Tulsa. Our high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably running around in like little uh, flower power outfits with the titties and no bra. Sure, these guys are going crazy. Teachers fucking her. Your dad's fucking her. Your, your supposed dad was fucking her. And I, I just had a child not too long ago, so I, I wanted to know if there were any health health factors I need to worry about. And that was the main goal of figuring this out and um, reaching out to the ZZ Top guys. They were like, "Hey, we knew your dad well. We still your mom. Your mom probably had a bush like ZZ Top with those beards. I'm telling you, oh, massive. That's bush. where they got the idea. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's telling you. In. Yeah, <laughs> when they were fucking your mom, they were like, "Man, check out the bush on this girl." We should grow big beards <laughs> well i gotta I tell you chuck 
I, I tell you, that's some wild story. So are you that's mad at your crazy mom? crazy story, yeah. You know, I mean, it's one of those weird things where I go, hey, I wouldn't have been able to experience all this. I've been fortunate enough to now start a relationship with the, with the guys from ZZ Top. I've met them three times now. They've really? been able to share some stories with me that I would have never known about my dad or some pictures or just that whole side that Wait I would a have second. never experienced. You mean to so. tell me you found out that your real dad toured with two of the guys from ZZ Top Mm-hmm. And now they want to be friends with you. I mean, or is it because you're on the radio? No, it has no. It has nothing to do with the radio. That's the one time the radio card didn't work for me. I've actually just been started a relationship. They, like I said, I have pictures from when they were 13. And well, let up. me ask you this, and this ain't a crazy question. Did ZZ Top fuck your mom too? <laughs> I, I only wish that that would have been even better. I, I, I mean, I'm like, hey, mom, if you could have fucked someone who would have actually maybe gotten some money or just something. That yeah, she, nice, she fucked the guy who left the band. Yeah. Yeah. She fucked the, the fake life. zombie guy. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. You Tell fucked the one guy it. who didn't end up in ZZ Top. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't handle it. I'm like, that's how, uh, that's, that's how it goes. But, you know, I mean, dude, your mom might story. be lying about everything. I bet ZZ Top passed your wow. mom around like a joint. <laughs> I, I think she only wished. <laughs> uh, where's, that, where's that hippie chick? <laughs> She's inspiration for new music. <laughs> <laughs> the original. Well, what a horrible thing. So, what age Thank you for were laughing you? at it? No, I'm uh, of course. <laughs> what I, I always laugh at other people's misery. No, of what course. what age were you when you found out that your um, you know, your 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 dad wasn't your biological dad? 32. Jeez, and I found it awful. out through a through a text message on New Year or yeah, right after Thanksgiving. I got to tell you something, dude. Because uh, I am not kind of really laughing at the trauma of that because, like, I knew a dude years ago. I, I ain't going to mention any names. But the, this guy, he found out he was adopted. He was in his 40s. And it fucked him up. He almost had a nervous breakdown. Like, nobody ever told him. The whole family knew. The relatives knew. And no, everyone He kept was the secret. only one who didn't know. Yeah, he was the wow. only one who didn't know. And it fucked him up good. And I could well, imagine all of a sudden you find out my mom's been lying, although she can claim she didn't know because she right. thought he really was the dad. I get it. But Jesus Christ. And then you find out your dad was a musician and he was the only, he left ZZ well, Top. And <laughs> he, he it, it, the story just keeps going on and on. But, you know, at some point it kind of feels good because I used to have no connection to the guy who I thought was my dad. I mean, he was just a complete idiot who, right. I mean, he could. Well, now you know why. He, he hated music. He would always just tell me, yell at me to turn it down and off and shut up, sit down. Uh, and it, it honestly right. was one of those things where I was like, why do, why do we not connect? And, you know, reaching out to him on after Thanksgiving and going, hey, why do I have to be the adult? Why do I have this, you know, why do I feel like I care? And even when he said all those, uh-oh. Hold on a second. No problem. Hey everybody, it's Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. How are you, Billy? Hmm. Let me tell you what happened. We all fucked his mom. Yes, we did. She had a stanky bush. Lovely. It had flies coming out of it. We even got a little animal out. We all fucked her raw. Raw, raw, raw. She drank our splooge. Sip, sip, sip. And she right, ate I guy went through a trauma and you're making jokes. Yeah, I told you. Musical inspiration. At it again. 
Well, Chubbs, <laughs> number one, great radio. You found out. You, call, you you did what every good morning man should do. You immediately called your mom on the air and confronted her and uh, just put all your shit right out there. And uh, I'm proud of you, son. I would be well, proud of you, call sir. Your son. Does this mean yeah. I can officially now claim here in Tulsa the Prince of All Media? Absolutely, Chubbs. All right. Oh, good work. You heard it. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. That, that's Chubbs over in Oklahoma who says uh, his real dad uh, was in a fake zombies group <laughs> with some guys from ZZ Top. Oh, man. Hi. Yeah. We're the zombies. We're here to play your high school. Really? <laughs> what was the big song the zombies did? Um, their number one hit. Uh, I think they had time of the season. Time of the season. What was the other one they did? It's the time of the season for love. You sure you're in the zombies? You don't sound like them. They're a little off key. No, no, no. We're the zombies. Well, no one told me told about, me about her. her. The way she lied. Yeah, and I'm your daddy. Well, no one told me <laughs> yeah. about She's Not There was a big song, yep. I think. Right. Yeah, and Tell right. Her No. Tell Her No, right. Zombies. Uh, I'd like to play for you kids another one of our hits. Hey, where's your British accent? Fuck you. That is a brilliant... That guy's real father was brilliant. He's like, you know what? Let me pick a band. No one's going to know we're not the zombies. I mean, it's Frank Beard, Dusty Hill, and this guy's dad. <laughs> His mom should have said no. Jesus Christ. I used to pray to God that my mom would come and confess that my dad wasn't my real dad. I didn't want either of my parents. I wanted Man. them to be with each other and to find out I was given to the wrong family. <laughs> it was weird when I learned about God. I was I used to say, God, could you make my parents get divorced so they wouldn't <laughs> so they'd leave me alone and like just you know what I mean? I could go back and forth to each of their homes. Uh, the zombies are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2019. There you go. What the fuck is going on, man? World is the world is a vampire. Well, you know, a lot of people are finding out they're the father they thought was their father, the father they grew up with, the father who lived in the home with them is not their father. Yeah, there's a guy on the phone right now from me and me pe uh, people. Yeah, there's a guy on the phone right now, Luke. I don't even know if I want to go into it. Uh, but Luke, real quick, you just found he's 53, just found out his dad's not his real dad. How'd you find out? Hey, now, uh, hey now. yeah, Luke's fake name because not many people know about this. But I'm 53, ah. you know, grew up with a mom and dad, a middle-class family. And uh, in the end of last year, my brother, and I'll use that in air quotes, called me and said, hey, I went on one of these sites, and our dad is not our dad. Oh, and I'm like, hmm, you know, really? What? Like, what? And it turns out that my mom couldn't get pregnant, and she went to a clinic, you know, back in the day, and this was in the 60s when he was born. Um, and so my brother Sperm did donor. some research and found out his biological father had donated to, you know, at, at a program. And so then the question was, you know, do I want to kind of figure out what's going on with me? And, and I, I'm, I'm like you, Howard. I don't want anyone to have my information. I don't want anyone to have my DNA. 
and I, I sat on it for a while. Yeah, it's fucked up, dude. I'm telling so you. I finally, yeah, I finally put it in the system and found out I've got um, a bunch of half-sisters, a bunch of half-brothers all over the country. And, you know, just like them, we just all figured it out through technology. Because back in the day, it was Crazy. all are you uh, are you like freaking are you freaking out of the whole thing like are you really fucked in the head over it you know i'm a, I'm a stable guy i've got a good life howard um i've got a great family but it's a mind fuck to say the least mm, you know you bet a little bit of it makes sense i mean i'm not my brother and i are polar opposites um you know i, I never had the greatest relationship with my dad and, you know, I wonder, hey Luke, dad, are I you wonder, like a are you a super good looking dude and super smart? Because at least if your mom went to a sperm bank, I hope she got like an Einstein to fuck her. Yeah, you know, I hope she went to one of the smart people mm, banks. Yeah, right? like you know, <laughs> people go to banks to get an idiot. You know, it's like, <laughs> are you super smart? Uh, I, I do okay. Um, they yeah. all went to a hospital, and it was all medical students, and it was uh, ah. they ran out of a hospital. And so, you know, do you have a high IQ? You know, I'm, I'm, I do well, Howard. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I wish my mother had gone to a sperm bank. My dad <laughs> was a strange looking dude. I, if my mom had gone to a sperm bank, I would look like fucking Brad Pitt. I wish my mom would have said, give me the best looking Swedish motherfucker you can find <laughs> who's like won the Nobel Prize in science. And, and, and that my life would have been so much easier. In a way, I envy you. You know what I mean? Well, uh, uh, sure, you know, she went to a place and there was, it was a bunch of medical students donating, but yep. Yep. I, I don't know that it really makes that big of a difference. Meanwhile, Does I've it? told this story before. I had a friend in college, uh, again, no names, but this dude was, he, you know, he had no money. His parents couldn't afford college. So his side gig was donating to the local sperm bank in Boston. <laughs> and, and the only reason I knew about it was I was making a student film and, and um, he was helping me out with it. And he goes, hey, dude, I, I got to take a break. I got to go jerk off. Can I use your bedroom? I go, you're not, first of all, you're not fucking jerking off my bedroom. What do you mean you got to jerk off? What medical condition you have? He goes, no, I'm a sperm donor. And today's my day to donate. You have to wait a certain amount of time. This dude, he went into my bedroom. His girlfriend jerked him off into a, a tube and then he had to wrap the tube in a fucking sock because you got to keep the sperm warm and he raced it down to the sperm bank right in the middle of, of principal photography <laughs> <laughs> and oh. i was like whoa i go dude how many fucking times a week are you doing how long have you been? he goes i've been doing this like two years he goes it's like 75 back in the day 75 bucks a shot and i went first of all you ain't that good looking and you ain't that smart. You're only a Boston have University. Been passing off his jeans is what you're saying. What? No. <laughs> I was like, you? I mean, who wants you for a daddy if my, you know, if my mother, <laughs> no offense. I mean, he was a nice guy and relatively handsome, I guess, but <laughs> I mean, you know, and he wasn't like the brightest guy on the planet. I'd want a Harvard guy donating. And I said, you have no problem. Do you realize at some point in your life, this shit could bite you in the ass. I mean, you could have yeah. 2,000 2, kids showing up at your door. He goes, ah, I don't give a shit. He goes, I need well, the you money. You should definitely stay off the site because that's what's happening.
to the donors is now they're realizing, holy shit, you know, I have all these kids out there, half, you know, that I have people I've donated for, and now. Wow. Well, I, Luke, I, I got a million questions, but I, I'm running out of time, you know, so. Yeah, you know, Howard, back in the early days of all this, one of the questions was, do you tell your children that they were the result of donor sperm as opposed to the regular way? And a lot of people chose not to say, you know, they acted like they got their kids the the usual way. And well, so I'll tell you what, have no idea why all these weird things are happening. I'm starting to suspect maybe I should get this 23 in me because, you know what, my dad resented the shit out of me. I don't think he's your dad. Exactly. My dad didn't seem to really take it. Like, I could see, like, you know what? Your mother went to the sperm bank. You're not even mine. I could see that. The way he treated me, it was like, he's like, I don't like you. Like, I was a stranger. Was he good at keeping secrets? Because he never told. I never told you this. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't like, like you because you are so. you are a sperm bank baby. Great. I knew I wasn't a sperm bank baby. I had nothing to work with genetically. My fucking looks and my fucking I mean, I had I, I made the most out of very little. <laughs> you know. I really did. I, if anything I should be applauded for that, honestly. Um You're a you're that, a see, yeah. you're a hero. I, I, I'm, I'm to be admired. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, how are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, this is terrible, but it all starts with a maid, you know? I thought I could hide the truth, but, you know, my son came out of my maid, and he had these big biceps. It's crazy. <laughs> I remember when your son came out of your maid, and, 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 and I guess Maria, Maria said, wait a second, this kid looks just like you, Arnold, right? Yeah, yeah I was totally fucked, because, you know, when my sperm leaves my body, you never know what's going to happen, but, you know, the, the, this is he, he came out. He's two years old now, and yeah. he, you know he, when he was two years old, he was doing these deadlifts, and it was crazy. Like where are these muscles coming from? Uh, they didn't even need a DNA uh, test. You're right, right. They, you had to give, and it, and it cost you your marriage. It was a big mess. Oh my goodness, I'm so yeah, sorry. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I wore a condom too, but my mm-hmm. sperm is so strong, it just punched through the end. Yeah, it could be making oh. made sons without my knowledge. It's crazy one oh. second she's dusting the next she's bouncing on my boner ah, it's crazy <laughs> wow that's a horrible story uh. oh my god there's a ton of people on the i didn't want to get into this but because i got so much I to get you, to there's but- a there's a plethora, an epidemic. you know it's like an epidemic of people finding out their parents aren't their parents should i stick with the look at this jim says he found out through DNA that his mom, you know, wasn't his mom. And then he met the real mom and his mom died of COVID two weeks after he met her. Wow. All right. You got me hooked. <laughs> Jim, what was, uh, I, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but it seems like there's an epidemic out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, now what's going on? You know, so what happened? You met your real mom, and then she dropped dead from COVID. Totally crazy. Did the same thing, Howard. Did the DNA thing. It came back 98% Irish. I was born in the desert of Santa Fe, New Mexico. So my daughter's freaking out. She's like, that's impossible. So I do the 
the, the, the ancestor one, it matches. Well, this lady calls me, says, I'm your cousin or your sister. Turns out she's my cousin. I go to meet my mom in Albuquerque. Everybody says I'm nuts for going, ah, it's like the meth capital. I'm like, what's an old lady? <laughs> what's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. So I meet this really old lady in an in a, in a old folks home with my cousin. And she tells me, you know, hey, I never saw you, blah, blah, blah. She was a, a, a worked at a, at a monastery helping deliver babies. She was an RN, and then, you know, she would help the uh, midwives, right? So she lived there until she had the baby. And she tells me, she goes, well, I'd like to tell you it was romance, but it was just sex. Your dad was my golf pro, and he was 74. Oh, oh my God. What a horrible story. I mean, so you don't want to hear 70- that. No, that means he's born in like 1891 or something. I <laughs> <laughs> so, she fucked the golf pro. Bar. I mean, oh my God. I mean, uh, good <laughs> Lord, these stories. So I guess you were adopted and your mom never told you you were adopted. No, they did tell me, which oh. I would have known anyway, because I hated all of them. I had nothing <laughs> in common with any of them. <laughs> I knew from the beginning, Howard, I do not belong with these people. Thank God she yeah. told me I was adopted, because I would have just thought I was a retard or something. I was sure I was adopted, but no one ever told me. So there you go. I'm all right, Tim, thank think you. Maybe I should do one of these tests. It sounds more really and more should. like I might not belong to that family. I got to tell you something. No offense. I met your parents. There's no way you weren't adopted. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. Don't call me with any of this shit. It's horrible. There's tons of... Look, here's Crystal. Just found out she has a different dad, and she's 37 years old. All well, right. I love the guy Hi. we just talked to because when you do these 23 and me, she could be my sister or she could be my cousin. Like, you don't no even know what relationship no, you, you are. You all from fucking really a golf don't. pro. <laughs> Seven, first of all, what kind of country club has a 76-year-old golf pro? Yeah. Come on. I mean, they, Jesus Christ, invest some money and get yourself a younger golf pro. <laughs> All right, Crystal, what happened? So I did an Ancestry.com, just wanted to see what my, you know, what I was. I was thinking I was like a lot German, and I came out and found out I had a first cousin. Not sure who this was, and long story short, I find out that I have a new daddy. <laughs> so I, well, I'll uh, tell you what, rabbit hole. <laughs> all of you need radio shows. Become a morning man. <laughs> Call and confront these people. All right. I, I don't want to. I, I know there's a whole bunch of people on the phone with their own story, but I can't listen to that shit all day. The king. Hey, by the way, I will mention this. The guy who built the whole career out of, uh, you know, DNA testing and everything was Maury Povich. Yes, he did. And I, you know, I never said this before, but Maury retired. And they made a big deal when uh, Dr. Phil retired, but no one ever made a big deal when Maury retired. The guy had a pretty good run with that uh, oh, DNA testing. Oh, a long, testing. long, long run. Um, yeah, Dr. Phil made his announcement and made the news. But another Take talk show easy. legend. Hey, come on. <laughs> I'm, I know. I know. You know I have a medical issue. <laughs> uh, Maury Povich retired from daytime television last year. And J.D. Yeah. was really shook about it. He was a big fan of Maury Povich. And, and he anyway. thought one day his number would come up Woo. and he'd find out who his parents are. I said to J.D., you're such a big fan of Maury Woo. Povich. Put together a little uh, 
That's honoring cute. a tribute. Yeah. So he did. This is from JD. Pulled some clips so we can honor uh, Maury. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you this: some impressive stats. Maury was the longest-running daytime talk show in TV history. Go figure. Was on the air for 31 seasons. Uh, until the show ended, it was the number one talk show among women, adults, and men ages 18 to 34. The show attracted a daily average of 1.2 million viewers, which not easy in daytime. It had more than 3,000 episodes. Maury's annual salary. What do you think Maury was pulling down a year? Uh, I don't know. Syndication. 13 to 14 million syndication okay. money. His net worth is estimated to be around, hold on to your chair, Robin, $80 million. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I should have been nicer to Maury. Yeah, you were. <laughs> you should have cuddled up to him. Um, but by the way, I mean, Maury was smart. When he started the show, he had this highfalutin notion that he was going to be like the next Oprah or Phil Donahue. But, uh, right. Um, were, around were, that time, a lot of people were starting, like Geraldo yeah. and Maury. Right. And he thought he was going to be one of those guys. Yeah. When Maury started, no paternity tests, no baby daddies, no fights. It was serious stuff. Right. Uh, in fact, here. In part of our tribute, I'll play you the original promo for the Maury show. This is when he had okay. no ratings because he wanted to be like, you know, uh, he wanted Relevant. to live up to some idea. He wanted to, yeah. Well, he wanted to be like, you know, like a like a good guy, you know. Well, he had come through the news wholesome. in that show, Panorama. So he yeah. already had some sort of like, maybe he thought he could carry that brand over yeah, yeah. to talk. He, he didn't want to have to, like, wear a bag over his head when he walked around in public. <laughs> Connie and I started dating. Uh, we put off marriage for years. In 1984, she calls me up, and all of a sudden, she says, Mari, guess what? I said, what? She says, we can get married now. I said, we can? Why? This is because I found a dress. <laughs> Beginning September 9th, Maury Povich will bring the experiences of a lifetime to one hour of television every weekday. I'm as happy as I've ever been in my life. I'm 52 years old. I'm in love. And I'm stepping up to the plate again. The Maury Povich Show premieres September 9th. Yeah, la, 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 la. We're going to have a really good, wholesome show. Then the ratings come out. You're in the toilet. And all of a sudden, but, hey, we better do something here. What can and we, we better, do? You know what we can do? We can start ruining people's lives with paternity tests. Well, you know what he started before the paternity test was the transgender beauty oh, yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty yeah. contest. Anyway, if you've seen one Maury show, you saw them all. It always starts with a woman who is 100% confident she knows who her baby's father is. No matter yeah. how much evidence there is to the contrary, she knows. Like this woman, I'll play a clip. She and her husband are black, but her twins look white. But that doesn't shake her confidence one bit. Let's get one thing straight. Marco is the father. Every single day, I'm harassed by everyone about how my daughters look. Yes, they're light skinned. Yes, they have straight hair. Yes, yes, both of their parents are black. I have mixed races, including white in my family. That's why they look the way that they do. I can't wait to prove to Marco. Uh, one thing and I can say about everything was always said at that decibel level. Yes, like when yes, they yes. Were declaring their innocence, <laughs> it was always <laughs> said like that. <laughs> oh yeah, and then and then the audience always sides with the mom and boos the guy who claims he isn't the baby daddy. <laughs> and then the lie detector results come out, 
And then the dad celebrates with the audience. They completely turn around <laughs> while Maury consoles the crying mom backstage. Uh, here's what I'm talking about. It starts with the dad gesturing at the twin babies and asking the audience if they think the babies look black. <laughs> of nine-month-old identical twins, Lauren and London. Marco, you are not... You can hardly call this a talk show. This was a yell uh. show. <laughs> Maury is the thinking man's Jerry Springer. <laughs> and Maury didn't just do paternity tests. He was on fire in the ratings. Uh, another big hit on the show was Troubled Teens. When you, when yes. you didn't have paternity, yeah. Yeah. The, the show would always find young girls who brag about wanting to get knocked up. And that's always, you know, this is a 15-year-old girl who wants to have My name is Victoria, and I'm 15 years old, and I don't care what my mama says, I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to just my baby in all brand names. And if I can't support it, then I guess I'm going to steal it. My mama thinks that I'm not ready to have a baby, but I have everything my baby will need. If my baby gets cold and it needs a blanket, it's alright, because I have it. And if my baby needs clothes, it's cool, because I have tons of them. And if my baby loses a pacifier, I have three and the music. More. I'm not just having sex with one, not two, but three different guys. That's right, I'm a player, but that's cool, because I got it like that. My life dreams are to jump out of school, to be on Girls Gone Wild, and to have my baby. And there's nothing wow. my super mother can say to change my mind. <laughs> Maury. With yeah. those kind of lofty goals, I don't know if she can make it. <laughs> uh, and, and some of the best segments, too, were people with strange phobias. Maury would find people deathly afraid of the most random things like pickles. Like pickles. Yeah. And then totally exploit their worst fears. Here, here you go. This is Mariah. She's 18 years old, and she is deathly afraid of pickles. <laughs> this is what the sight of a pickle does Boeing. to Mariah. My name is Mariah, and I hate pickles. I hate everything about them. Pickles are destroying my life. People make fun of me. I feel ashamed that I'm actually afraid of them. When I think about pickles, I just want to throw up and run away. <laughs> We wanted to see firsthand the extent of Mariah's pickle phobia. So we sent her to the Patterson Pickle Factory, where she would come face to face with thousands upon thousands nice. of pickles. That's how women react when I pull my pants down. It's like I see girls to my stomach. Please just look, please. And then, um, and then, and then he would torture why, people too. Why did he have to help her with her pickle uh, phobia? Is oh, and he helped. Ruining her life. <laughs> uh, here's one: a woman who uh, was afraid of balloons, and they sent. Well, she's deathly afraid of balloons. Here's Yvonne. She's trembling right now because Yvonne is deathly afraid of balloons. Balloons. 
Are you just afraid they'll pop? Everything. The, the huh? look of them, huh? the way they float, everything. About the way they float? Everything, everything bothers me. About them. You're worried about a balloon floating? Yes. You think the balloon is going to... And the Maury show in this clip, she runs for her life to the backstage. <laughs> Where there are dozens and dozens more balloons, like they have. <laughs> Maury's like a supervillain who feeds on all the balloons. It was like the cause of what? Uh, it was like a saw. The movie Saw. There's <laughs> yeah. balloons everywhere. We understand you're afraid of balloons, so here's more <laughs> balloons. <laughs> Watch this, Yvonne, please. Maury always him. acts like he acts like he's a hero. You know, he's the one who's going to save them from the balloons. He set Don't him up. But by him. the way, we do want to take credit for that shtick because we originated that with High Pitch Eric. I do want to go yeah. on record. We we knew he had. He was High Pitch Eric was a lot a, of ideas from this show. You damn right, Robin. He owes us. Uh, Eric had a phobia for dead fish, so of course we chased him around the studio with exactly a dead fish. You have a real fish here, do you? Yeah, we do. We have a cod. <laughs> Catch of the day. What's the matter? He hates dead fish. No, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You hate dead fish? No, I'll do something with Benji. Stop it! Stop it. Stop it. Make the fish talk to him like a Sopranos. No! No! That's enough. Yeah, well, anyway, we salute Maury. Uh, he didn't get a lot of attention. I don't know why they had to end that show. I, I mean... It, I think it, it, Maury just didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Maury's 80-something. Maury is riding off into the sunset. He says he wants to become more involved with the Flathead Beacon, a weekly newspaper in Montana that he owns with his wife, Connie Chung. Well, maybe that's to, like, kind of make up for all the... You know, all the yeah, he, he won't be scaring <laughs> balloon people anymore. Oh, there's a we miss you, Maury. There was a woman that was afraid of mustard, and someone like came out with a plate of mustard and like tried to put it in her face, and she was running uh, around. <laughs> but JD, the best we're gonna... were the paternity things because they'd have right. a woman on sixteen, seventeen times <laughs> and still not discover the father. <laughs> JD, yeah. um, you're gonna yes. miss Maury, right? Do you want to say something? Yeah, no, it was great. It was, uh, you know, you always sort of knew what you were getting when you were watching Maury's show. Uh, it was, you know, paternity test pretty much. So, you know, J Jerry Springer, uh, he was a little, he got a little goofy or whatever, but Maury, uh, Maury stuck to it. Maury stuck to it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a void on daytime TV now. Um, so yeah, sucks. Yeah. You know, Missy when Boy. I listen back to those clips, Howard, I'm like, how did we not know Trump would get elected? <laughs> look, look at what's going on in the world. By the way, we also want to salute Shalanda, who, you know, uh, appeared 19 times and got 20 <laughs> DNA tests for her three children, including 17 for just one daughter. So, uh, right. Shalanda, yeah, that's we're going to miss you, about. too. You yeah. could yeah. never <laughs> find a, a father for that child. Yeah. My name is Schlanger, but uh, she is Shalanda. I <laughs> uh, want to also... 
I, you know what? We're, uh, Billy Corgan will be here soon, but I, I, when I get back from break, maybe I have time. JD went out. Uh, so many people wrote in about JD's uh, segment yesterday. Uh, St. Patrick's segment? Yeah. They wrote in. They, they were talking about it. And I got some bonus tape, too, that JD did some other interviews. Fucking crazy. Hey, John, you're on the air. What's up? In Texas. Woo, woo. Woo, woo. Uh, first time, long time. And Robin, thank you. Woo, for woo. So, uh, you know, you You're mentioned welcome. Willie Nelson earlier, and, um, you know, he's been on my bucket list forever, and I finally saw him uh, about three or four years ago. He's the absolute best. I, I think he should be in. Uh, you know, I see him and Burt Baccarat as, as kind of the same type of, I mean, they've written so much music. Hey, John, I got to go. All right. Thanks, man. Who the fuck cares? He saw Willie Nelson a bunch of years ago. What's his point? Maybe his point uh, he was that I... He should be in the Hall of Fame, and he oh. thinks he's the same as Burt Bacharach. He's nothing like Burt Bacharach. <laughs> Burt Bacharach's a weirdo. Willie's cool. I mean, God bless Burt Bacharach. Wrote a lot of hits, especially for Dion Warwick, but I don't see the similarity there. But no. anyway, I, yeah, I guess... Oh, I guess what he meant was... It was taking a long time, and I was getting impatient... I guess what he meant was, uh, hey, I didn't know you would vote for him for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I did. So oh. maybe that's it. Maybe but he should have started with that. You think? <laughs> uh, I was just looking over the... Oh, hey, by the way, I'm very honored. Uh, James Cargill wrote a song about me. No one ever writes songs about me, but this is Wait really a really cool song. Wait a minute. James yeah. Cargill? Yeah, James Cargill from The Zombies. Uh, no, no. <laughs> James Cargill uh, wrote a song about me called Incognito Man. If you remember, now when I masturbate, I go uh, on incognito mode on yes. my browser. <laughs> I, I, I was taught that recently, how to go on incognito mode. And it's so much easier. You don't have to delete your whole history every time you beat <laughs> off. And uh, he wrote a song about it. I like it. Here, listen. There's a man who masturbates in secret. You know, I'm an old guy, you know, still jerking off. Never been caught a secret jerk or genius. I like to spank it out real quick. The bathroom door is locked before he grabs his cock. Oh, yeah, baby. And his browser's always set to incognito. Incognito. Shooting his load to stepmoms, but his wife will never know. On your browser, you can go incognito, so no one knows you're watching porn. Yeah, it erases everything. Beware of leaving just his shoes behind. The horrible evil shit spews out of me. Bury them when no one else can find. I flush it down the toilet. Cover that camera too, Ooh. or they'll see you shoot your good. Right. Thank you for helping me with my masturbation. I appreciate it. Yes. I incognito love the way man. he uses incognito man in incognito man uh, it's very catchy you'll be singing it all day by the way uh, james will be opening up for my band tuchus when we're on oh. tour be sure to get your tickets can't wait to see him do that live that's right tickets are going for it's over five thousand dollars right on the uh, 
What time uh, is it? Two o'clock? The, uh, <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so I can be in bed by seven. <laughs> Matinee shows only with Tuchus and James Cargill. But uh, I'm very honored that James would think of me and write a song about me. But I was also going through the mail. And people wrote in about Beth's sugar addiction. Beth uh. got so many mail, so many emails to her uh, account that, uh, you know, because she's on Instagram and stuff. And well, she, you know what? Yeah. I was thinking about this. I said, she kicked sugar once. She did it she's once. she's doing really, really well. Well, like I said yesterday, her mom came over and was like ridiculing her sugar addiction and then saying, you know, she was saying, I eat sugar all day. I don't know what you're talking about. So Beth thinks, oh, I'm genetically tied to this woman. I can do the same thing. But Beth was going off the walls with this sugar. She was bouncing wow. off the walls. And uh, anyway, uh, so many people wrote in. Um, I feel Beth's pain. Sugar is extremely addictive. It, it's no joke. It, they say it's as addictive as uh, they Cocaine. say it's as addictive. Don't believe it. And but, alcohol. And trust me, Coke's way more addictive. But okay, let's know. go with it. Uh, you have experiences I don't. So I I'll don't. Go uh, with you. I know. I wasn't a cocaine guy. <laughs> I was incognito, man. I was a. Uh, I just was into lewds and pot and shit like that. I acid a little bit. I indulged. But um, afterwards, Beth told me that she was emailing Gary Delabanque. And they were bonding over their sugar addiction. Well, he's and, terrible uh, because he's never kicked his sugar addiction. <clears throat> no, both. I love chocolate. I love dark <laughs> chocolate. I'm in my, uh, I'm in my ninth sure. day, Robin. Oh, I'm in really? My ninth day. Yep. No sugar whatsoever. And I had, I'm telling you, I had fucking pounding headaches for the first three days. Like pounding fucking headaches. And then like wow. the fourth day it got better. And now I feel pretty good. You know what? So, Beth, you, you must have inspired Beth because now she's like, I'm on the wagon, blah, blah, blah. So oh, yesterday, okay. No, well, wait a second. So yesterday, what? Beth's friend came over and Beth said she's having headaches and everything. You know, she's having a hard time with it, getting off the sugar. So she said, um, because her friend was here, um, we had some iced teas in the house, like homemade iced tea. And um, Beth drank it down. She was like, you know, this is helping and it's so great. There's no sugar. So I... It was loaded with sugar. The ice. She tea. couldn't tell it had sugar in it. She goes, I couldn't tell. There was, how would I know there was sugar? I said, Honey, you know, you take a sip of something. <laughs> if you like it, you know it's sugar. I said, You knew what you were doing. She goes, Oh, and I felt so much better after I drank it. I said, Yeah, you got your. Yeah, I know, guy. You're shaking you your head. Got your fix. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm listen. I'm, I'll have I've been having grapes and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm talking about like that cabinet of chocolate. Was which I was eating, no joke. At least a half a bag of chips a day, a bunch of uh, breaking <clears throat> off the bars, cookies, all that stuff. <clears throat> I haven't done for like nine days, and I do feel pretty good. And I'm not like craving it, but the first three days I was fucking going out of my skin. The Gary Hello. is the Bookie. Gary Bookie. is the Hello. Keith Richards of sugar. Bookie. He really he, has he, a hard time. Uh, is now no, he's the Tom Arnold of sugar. He's helping other people mm. with their addiction. Howard, how rude of you to describe Reggie Jackson's candy bar in detail to Beth. I think whatever she's... <laughs> Dude, it didn't happen like that. I was talking to her that I was talking with uh, Reggie. You see, this is, uh, Beth blew that out of proportion. We're taking a walk, and I said, yeah, Reggie Jackson, what a great guy. His story, I really feel for him. He's had a horrible, you know, couple of traumas in his life. 
I said, but, you know, it's amazing his career. I said, you know, he made more money with the Reggie bar. Than, and she goes, what's a Reggie bar? I go, Reggie bar was chocolate peanuts. And she goes, oh, don't bring that up. That's, <laughs> I, I go, oh, you asked me what a Reggie bar was. I wasn't thinking that she's addicted to sugar. And by but the way, you have to because she is addicted to sugar. See, that's the uh, problem. Well, listen, I got my own problems. You're you're an enabler. No, I'm not. I do whatever she <laughs> oh. tells me to do. <laughs> well, that's an enabler. If she tells you to get her candy, you get it for her. Yeah, well, listen, she's a grown woman. What am I going to do? <laughs> anyway, uh, yesterday we played the St. Patty's Day Parade drunken trivia game, Robin, and you ended up doing very well with it. It was a hit with the fans, too. Howard, funny St. Patty's game today. If you want even drunker people next time, just have Sal take the Long Island Railroad from the city anytime <laughs> on March 17th. We call it the Puke Express train. Everybody's just so fucked up. Yeah, I've seen that. Yikes. Do they still serve? They don't serve alcohol on the Long Island Railroad anymore, do they? I think I for a no while idea. they tried that. I think they might have. Do I have that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Howard, yeah. I got to tell you something. You want to know the crazier thing? The bar car was also the smoking car. So <laughs> you can imagine, I smoked and I wouldn't even go in there. It was so disgusting. Can that you imagine everybody smoking? But it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. a closed door. There's no windows. You don't open the windows. It was just a cloud of smoke. And then everybody's, um, the big thing was tall boys. Everybody liked to drink the tall boys. They were big, you know, oversized beers. Yeah. Well. You know, that commute, I, I, having done it for many years, it is horrible. It really is. And, you know. You need something, is what you're you saying. Need, you need something <laughs> to, to, like, smooth out the experience. Howard, you know what they used to call that train, for real? They used I, to call it the I know what comet. they used to call it. The Vomit Comet, yeah. The Vomit <laughs> Comet. I know. For real. Anyway, uh, Howard, I tried playing along with the St. Patty's game today and completely embarrassed myself. Thankfully, thankfully, it wasn't anywhere near as embarrassing as J.D. trying to drunkenly read questions to drunk party girls. Yeah, J.D., you, you're a really bad reader. Um, I don't think he's he, that bad when he's not <laughs> drinking. I don't know. He's blaming, he's blaming the drinking. <laughs> I, I was reading. I, I can read fine. I was. Oh, yeah. What, what do you got there? You got a book there? Let me hear you read out loud. I'll bet book? you fuck that up. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah, what what do you mean a book? <laughs> like a book? <laughs> what do you got? What's the name of that book? I got Fast Food Maniac by John Hine right here. Oh. Right. Fast Food Maniac. Read uh, the first three <laughs> sentences that you've just turned to any page. Read. Okay. Hit him with the Hine. A&W, All-American Food. Welcome home, soldiers. On June 20th, 1919, there was a citywide party in Lodi, California to welcome Lodi. home World War. See? Lodi. Lodi. Okay. What do you mean? Lodi. It's I think Lodi. It, maybe it is. It is no, Lodi. It's Lodi. 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 All right. Lodi. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You're to doing good. Home, to welcome home World War One heroes. And Roy W. Allen felt that hot night would be the right time to open a root beer stand. A little less than a century later, that very same uh, grade of root beer hey, is still satisfying. Why are you doing so good now? And then when you got in front of the chicks, you kind of choked. Uh, a, I was I choked. <laughs> a, I was uh, lit up. And B, I was, uh, again, I had the list of questions. <laughs> I was looking through the list in real time, trying to decide which ones to ask. And, and I was going back and forth. It was a lot going All on right. in my head. All so right. Take it easy. What's going head. on? A lot going on Ooh. in your head. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, they no longer sell alcohol on the Long Island Railroad. On St. Patty's okay. Day, the, the MTA bans alcohol until noon the following day. So whatever. I, I I can't get a clear answer on that one. But 
Um, anyway, my point is we have a bonus game, kind of. <laughs> We asked another drunken maniac kind of a general knowledge questions at the St. Patty's Day Parade, but the game went off the rails. Yeah, I wouldn't say they were maniacs. They were just drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Here's a... Uh... All right. Let's see, Rob. I'm going to play this game. Here's a little right. background. This is a little background on the guy we interviewed. How much have you drank today? I've had a couple Guinnesses, a couple Stellas, a couple shots... I'm here enjoying the fucking festivities. How much schooling? I major in business management. <laughs> Tell your sister I'm managing her business. <laughs> I noticed this guy uh, talks about guys' sisters a lot. It's a general yes. theme in this, yeah. Yes. What uh, is the deal with guys' sisters? They're not just women. <laughs> they're guys' sisters. Here's JD with his first question, Robin. Name three Asian people. <laughs> Will he know three Asian people? Huh. This guy? I think not. I got to agree with that. Kazumi Sports from Pornhub. The, the Asian stuck in the freezer from the hangover. Chow. 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 The imperial leader from China. Ji Jiangling. Whatever his name is. Ji Jiangling. I know him. Ji Dingaling. Uh, so I think what are you he saying? He knows nobody. Xi Jinping is the president of China. Where he got that one wrong, but he was, but he was close. And um, no, he wasn't. He was doing. He sounded like a triangle. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then <laughs> Ken Jong, <laughs> the, the character in The Hangover, was uh, Mr. Chow. And Kazumi Squirts is a porn star. He was actually close on that one. What was he saying, JD? I, don't know, I, gotta I thought he was talking about a Kazumi game. Squirt. No, he, he, what was he saying, J.D.? Oh, I got to look up this porn star, Kazumi Squirts. I've never seen this. Uh, I, I I don't know who the hell he was saying. Kazumi <laughs> Squirts. Oh, yeah, I can't find no. him. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, she's all right. Oh, yeah. is she hot? Oh, oh, yeah, she's hot. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, all right somebody tells so me you'll be squirting. <laughs> somebody tells me you'll be squirting to Kazumi Squirts. <laughs> yeah, he's the... Uh, Do you like good? Asian porn? I don't watch a lot of that. I don't watch a lot of it either. Um, because of Does a lot that of make it, us you know, uh, racist. Maybe no, it's just not, you know, a lot. <laughs> they tend to be, um, like very petite, which isn't, you know, I like thicker, uh, women. So, but the, <laughs> no, Kazumi Squirt, she's a, she's, she's, that's, she that's might make girl. it. Oh, yeah. She might make it into that spank bank. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah, might be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's JD's next question. Let's get back to the game, Robin. In what part? In what part? Hold on. In what part of the body is the femur bone located? In what? In what? In what? Hold on. Hold on. In what part of the body is the femur bone located? Does this guy look like a uh, an athlete? Uh, well, a little bit. Yeah, he was kind of tall. He was kind of tall. All right, I'm gonna say yes. I'm saying no way. This fucking guy's hammered. <laughs> my dick is oh in my, my brajol. It's in my brajol. <laughs> sound, sound, crack it up. <laughs> All right, here's the next question. Jeez. Here's the next question. 
Who wrote, who wrote Mein Kampf? Who wrote Mein Kampf? <laughs> Will this guy know? Yikes. I'm afraid he'll know. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Something tells me he'll know. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, let's see. Here we go. Here's your answer. I know this. I don't need nobody to tell me this. My good friend, Hitler. <laughs> see? <laughs> yeah, there you go. His good friend, Hitler. <laughs> uh, hey, J.D., you watched The Bachelor last night. You're a big Bachelor guy. What'd you think? I did, I did watch. Uh, Well, I picked Gabby to win, but she... She got a little too, uh, emotional and stuff towards the last few episodes. So, uh, yeah, I lost, I lost in the Bachelor Fantasy League. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's not, I don't know. It's, it's just a goofy show. I mean, how many, I love conversation. I, I love conversation with you. I, I never know what say, you say. Uh, what how was the question? I don't even know. Right? I go, what'd you think of the Bachelor? Answer. <laughs> yeah. How many times do we have to see this guy showering yeah. and, you know, all that stuff? Right. Was, right. You know, it's kind of stupid. Right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Seeing all the women react uh, in real time to what was going on on the screen. It was kind of funny. What the fuck he said? I can't understand JD. Marbles in his mouth, stammers in mumbles. That English he just said. Nobody can tell what the fuck he said. Like this? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, and, um, that, um, huh? that's when it's that's oh, he, 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 was, he, that, he made it that's what he said yeah, alright well uh, here let's get down to the next question here we go name three oceans name three oceans can this guy do it can you do it I could do it I think <laughs> I mean, I know the Pacific and I know the Atlantic. Anyone and I'm going to say the uh, uh, the Indian Ocean. How's there that? you go. There, right, I, you I got, got three. three. Don't ask me for five or six <laughs> or however how many there are. I don't know. How many are there? How many oceans are there? I don't you know? even know. Yeah. But I'm going to say he can't. He can't name three oceans. Uh, I, I don't see that happening. All right. Let's see. Okay, easy, easy. Pacific, Atlantic, and your sister's fucking veg after I get done with her. It's fucking flowing. <laughs> I told you he's really into that. He might be right, but I can't count it. <laughs> the judges will not accept. All right, here's JD's final question. What? What is? What? Hold on. What does? Hold on. What am I what, holding what, on to? What is? What? 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 What does? Like like the guy has nothing better to do. Just hold on while I learn how to talk. Hold on. I'll be back in three years. With the question. What what does what hold on. What does <laughs> ASAP stand for? What does ASAP stand for? We know what it is okay. as soon as possible. Does he know that? <laughs> uh, this guy doesn't know anything. I know. No. I'm gonna say yeah. no. Right. As your sister's ass <laughs> perfect. 
Your sister's ass is perfect. That's ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> Made even less sense than I thought it would. <laughs> uh, 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 hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Robin. I got a question for you. Hold on. Hold on. What? What is? What? What is? What, hold what, on. What? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> what are they holding? Are they waiting for you to reset your brain? I'm mean, why? Why are they, are they holding yes. on? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Waiting for me to reset my brain. Exactly. I could. At any point. Any at any point when you were talking to this guy, did he give you a wedgie? <laughs> no, but uh, he seemed like a guy that would have back in the day. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. But I said the wrong thing to him. <laughs> Or just right. existed. <laughs> that fucking crazy, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good job. I wonder yeah. if you played that for this guy. Would he say, oh, I never want to be like that again. I'm always going to, like, cut off my drinking before I get that stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it'd be like, you know, Jesus Christ. It's like the guy, they say, when you hear yourself snore. You will never snore again, which is not true. I've recorded myself snoring, but, uh, you know, maybe you could, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm coming off way worse than I thought. I'm drinking, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, rock and roll hall of fame. I spoke about that. Most of the listeners agree with me that the smashing pumpkin should be in the conversation. It's criminal that the pumpkins have not even been nominated. Let's get them on the ballot ASAP, which is as your sister something <laughs> billy is the epitome of rock and roll there's no doubt in my mind the pumpkins deserve a spot on the ballot they have to be nominated at least anything less is an insult gary should be stripped of his voting privileges at the rock and roll hall of fame did gather did gary really vote for the spinners over soundgarden <laughs> yeah he did i know so I couldn't figure that out either. I thought about that later in the day, and I started going through <clears throat> the Spinner's hits. And I was like, what is he voting for? Hey, I'm not putting down anybody who has a hit song. I wish I could have one, but uh, Jesus No, but Christ. I mean, you're talking about influences. And, well, you both, know. Both, I voted for the Spinner's. Oh, what about the Soundgarden? No, no. You know what's called the, for the Spinner's. You know it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Well, that went out the window years ago when they let in Michael Jackson and Madonna and Dolly Parton. Um, they let in Dolly Parton last year. Uh, I'm just saying but, it hasn't been the, it hasn't been the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for 15 years. Yeah, but Soundgarden, my God! Oh, this or I'll play well, this, this is, and then I'll play um, Black Hole Sun. Black Hole Sun. Yeah, <laughs> you're nuts. WNBC here with the spinners for you on a super Saturday. Just loving you and loving our whole WNBC family. Let's do it. Are you a rubber band man? Because you know I am, and so is BB, who's coming up next. Rubber band man. WNBC. NBC. 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 Howard, do you consider Willie Nelson rock and roll? <laughs> Willie Nelson is a genius. That's what I. No, I get that. I'm not saying that. But coming at you, WNBC on a Super Sunday. Got some Soundgarden music for you. Recently, not voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of Gary Delabanke, who voted in the Spinners. My man was shaking from sugar withdrawals at the time, so he can't really be blamed. Uh, Dulo, bookie, bookie, dulo, dulo, bookie. 
Willie Nelson is a brilliant, brilliant songwriter. Absolutely. And you don't think Willie Nelson has influenced rock and roll? That's I'm why I voted for Willie Nelson over the Spinners. <laughs> Robin, do you think Willie Nelson's rock and roll, Robin? Yes. No, but he influenced. Well, then, that's all I need to know because you just said. Um, I thought By it was the, way, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Soundgarden. Yeah, uh, Sound, Howard said that. Soundgarden just got in. Uh, they they did not get in this year. They missed by one vote. We're <laughs> tallying the votes right now, and it turns out Gary Delabanque. <clears throat> This best, is the uh, last vote. It's Gary Delabate's vote. It was whether Soundgarden gets in. And, <laughs> nope, it's the spinners. Take Bowie. By the way, um, Angel flying too close to the ground. I think uh, Billy Corgan himself would agree with me that that is one of the greatest songs ever written. Uh, if we're going to, you know, when I was sitting there, I go, well, who wrote the greatest songs? And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I, I don't get a, a little tap in my toe when I hear the spinners. I like The it. spinners didn't write any of those songs. They didn't? They didn't write those? No. They didn't write Rubber Band Man? <laughs> How do you know what they wrote, Robin? But I would not they have were a vocal group. They didn't write their own songs? Do you know that? No. I'm going oh, to look know it that. up, but I oh. pretty much know it. <laughs> well, you can't say that unless you know it. They were not... I never... What song did they write? I you know what? Well, maybe they wrote Rubber Band Man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you can't be like Trump and make a pronouncement when you don't know. Well, again, I know Smokey Robinson wrote a bunch of songs, but I don't know if the Four Tops did. They never talked about the Four Tops writing songs. Let's enjoy this song. And you'll feel down. for Willie Nelson, Gary? I did not. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. You have the worst taste in fucking music I have ever heard. <laughs> the Spinners did not write Rubber Band Man, Robin. You were right. Yeah. When you hear this, doesn't this move you? Not like it moves you. I'm not saying it's not wow. a great song, but it doesn't move me like it moves you. It's a great song. That's right. You you like Steely Dan. Walker. Oh, yeah. So does Robin. Angel. What? Into Why did I get pregnant? I'll ask uh, Billy Corgan, who's... He's the only guy, really, who shouldn't be commenting on any of this stuff. Well, and well, by the way... He writes. When people give me shit for not... Uh, voting for Billy Corgan, the answer is simple. They have not been nominated yet. No, we know that. That's insane, but I will ask Billy about this controversy that we're having. <laughs> but I bet, I bet I'm going to ask, likes... I'm going to say to him, I'm going to say, I'm not saying I don't like the Spinners, it's some bouncy tunes, but if you had a choice between Willie Nelson, the Spinners, and Soundgarden, who would you leave out? And the answer is, I'll guarantee you Billy Corgan goes, the Spinners. Well, that's his, listen, he's entitled to How much you want to bet? How much, let's take a bet. I don't need Money to bet, bet because you're probably right, but that doesn't mean... But let's why bet. would I bet? You're probably right. Because don't you believe in your vote? I believe in what I like. Yeah, I do believe in my vote. You like the spinners better than Willie Nelson and Soundgarden. 
Well, I'm not a huge Willie Nelson fan, so I don't know. I mean, I wow. know the four or five songs that most people know, but I couldn't tell you that. I would. Right, I, got, go, I, 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 I can't take. How would you, you? You would like go to. I'm your, gonna jump to out Spotify. of the window. You would go to Spotify and go. Let me put on Willie Nelson. Good thing I'm in my basement. So when I jump out the window, I won't hurt myself. <laughs> I'll just hit dirt. Listen to this. I'd rather see you up. And see I'd rather see you up than see you down. Oh, I got the chills. And this guy's voting for the spinners. How did I meet you again? Well, how did I how did I get so lucky to have you in my life? Don't know. I mean we just I, met, I don't at even we met at NBC. Fred met Go eat some go eat sugar. Fred met me and then he dragged me to your office where you mocked me. <laughs> Listen to the guitar work. And they're like a beat behind the the, the vocals. I'm going to ask Billy Corgan. You're going to be humiliated. I'm fine. Billy's totally entitled to his opinion. Billy is going to ridicule you. I would not mock somebody for their opinion. Like Billy's going to mock you for your opinion. That's fine. I can't wait to hear him humiliate you. What if he surprises you? What if... What if he Billy's a big spinner fan? Because Billy, Billy's going to bitch slap you. He loves he wrestling. Can't he can't reach me. <laughs> yeah, all, right. all right. Anyway, well, let's see who let's see who gets in. But um, yeah, the spinners weren't writing any music. They had a producer who discovered them, who wrote a lot of the songs, and uh, that was that. Coming at you, Robin. Uh, the spinners did not write this, but the, let's put them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anyway, <laughs> because Gary Dalabanki loves them. Uh, Coming at you on a beautiful, what's today, Tuesday, ha, I almost forgot what day it was, and I'm a disc jockey, so I have to remember stuff like that. Come back with Billy Corgan right after these words. One of my favorite people, favorite artists, uh, Billy Corgan is here. He's got the whole band Smashing Pumpkins with him. Wow. That's my man right there. Look at this man. Oh, that's that's my man. If I if someone said to me, you know, hey, if you could have somebody's talent and be a rock star, it would be Billy Corgan. Look at you. Is it cold in the studio? Because I notice you're wearing a, a, a ski cap, Billy. A parka. As, <laughs> as challenging as it is to be interviewed by you, I have to sit under a fucking air conditioner for an hour. <laughs> and freeze. <laughs> we can fix that. We can I don't know if you that. notice I don't have any hair, so... Um, yeah. I always thought that was, you know, it, it, I remember when you shaved your head. I forget what video it was. I remember, you know, you know, those videos were so good, man. We leave that out of every time we talk, but th those were mostly your visualizations, right? It wasn't a director pitching ideas. You pitched the ideas. Yeah, I, I had to fight pretty hard to get most of those videos made, but I'm I'm glad that I did because it 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 sort of showed who we were as people in a way. Not the characters we were playing, that we were willing to kind of not take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, but your videos were cool, you know? Like, there was, there was always, it was edgy. You know what I remember, too? And maybe this has something to do with, like, the stamp of approval of a band. Do you remember when Beavis and Butthead were watching one of your videos? I forget <laughs> which course. one it was. And, 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 yeah, and they were like, this is cool. <laughs> you know, like they didn't put you guys down. They didn't put Smashing Pumpkins down. And it's like if Beavis and Butthead, I think it was today, 
as a matter of fact. That it was, I think it was because we were break, we were destroying stuff or something. Yeah, yeah you were you were breaking stuff, <laughs> and they were like, "This is cool." And then they go, "Where's the smashing pumpkins? How come they're not smashing yeah, any yeah. pumpkins?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so crazy. And I bet that mattered to you, too. Like, when you're watching MTV, you're like, oh, fuck, I hope Beavis and Butthead don't goof on us. Oh, no, I sat on my couch, and I was like, fingers crossed. I was like, I, I can't deal with being brutalized by them. That's how sensitive <laughs> I was. I know. And, and they really liked the fact, if I remember it correctly, that you had an ice cream truck. Remember on that video? Yes. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like. It's such a crazy business. You're sitting and worrying about two cartoon characters and whether they like you or not. Yeah, so crazy. Hey, so we were. Yeah, when talking. I think about the thing, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Just when I think about what plagued me in the '90s, I just laugh. Like I, I was so obsessed with a bunch of stuff that didn't matter. Yeah, like 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 other bands. Do you like? Is one of the things that you were obsessed with? I remember I've read this somewhere that on your first album, the guy who produced the album was Butch Vig, and did a brilliant job and everything. And you love the guy. But Butch Vig, while he's producing Smashing Pumpkins, goes off and produces Nevermind, um, Nirvana's first album. Yeah. And you were like, wait a second. I think Butch <laughs> just stole my whole guitar sound and gave it to Nirvana. Is, is that yeah, like true. one of the, yeah, is that one of the things that like, you look back on and you go, ah, what the fuck? I shouldn't have said anything. Well, it was the combination of, he stole my guitar sound and Kurt was married to Courtney. That was the combination, you see. Right. Because Courtney and I had been a couple before she uh, got married to Kurt. And uh, I famously threw her out of my apartment. She went down the road and Kurt was playing literally a block away. And that began their their whirlwind romance. Right. So there was always that element of that's the thing that people didn't understand about that sort of situation. People, of course, they read it like sour grapes. Now, it was, you know, it was, it was fine, but it was more about the sort of the personal aspect of, of that relationship having gone south and she was with him and it was had more to do with that <laughs> were you madly in love with courtney love were you like was she someone who you you point you know there's certain people in your life where you just bond with uh, was she really important to you and was it mind-blowing yes. yeah and she left you no I, I threw her out of my apartment now, i had a girlfriend and she called me from the airport and said hey um would you be open to me coming and seeing you in Chicago? And I said, sure. <laughs> so five hours later, she calls and she's at the airport in Chicago. Hey, I'm on my way over. <laughs> so I, you know, I was like, uh, I had a situation, as we would say back in the day. Right. So she showed up and it, it was a, it was a bad scene. And, and you know, just ironically, because maybe this was part of the whole gimmick. Uh, Nirvana was literally playing blocks away at, wow. the, at the what was called then the Cabaret Metro in Chicago. So when I threw her out, I kind of knew uh, deep down she's going to go over there and make a scene over there, which she did. And then that began their very public courtship. Were you freaked but to out? to your question, sorry, because it's an important yeah, question. There are people in your life that change the trajectory of your life. And Courtney completely changed the trajectory of my life. She challenged me to be a better musician, a better artist. And I think what's important is that our relationship, although it's kind of gone through its ups and downs, I was just texting with the other day, like we still are in touch. There's whatever that relationship was, was important to both of us that we still maintain it. Oh, that's so not, I didn't realize you were still in touch with her. I thought there was like animosity. Yes, we made up about four or five years ago. She said a bunch of stupid stuff and I was like, okay, I'm never talking to you again. And then she kind of apologized. And so we've had a very nice 
she's in a very good place right now, uh, living in England. And, um, all, all our conversations recently really are very similar to our conversations when we first met around 1990. It's like somehow we've gone back to our original relationship. Like we've been through all the bullshit and coming out the other side. Of course, all the damage that both of us did, I think we can kind of look back and kind of laugh at that we made it through somehow. I can't even imagine you two as a couple. I just can't. I mean, because <laughs> I know her well, it, and I know it must have been nuts. just the drugs. Just the drugs alone, Howard, was mind blowing. <laughs> it's just the drugs alone. What type of drugs just were you into? No, it's what kind of drugs was she into? See, Courtney's <laughs> similar to Jimmy. Courtney's similar to Jimmy Chamberlain in that they have this kind of other level constitution. Right. They're like a professional athlete. They can go a lot harder than the rest of us mortals. As I once said about Jimmy, you can, uh, you can, uh, you can't run with Jimmy, but don't even try to walk or something. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's, it's another but thing. When, well, when you're in like a romantic relationship with someone who's really that, you know, like you say, an athlete on, you know, who they can take an enormous amount of drugs and, and still somehow stay alive. It, it, it is a weird thing, right? Because it, it's, you're not that high. And they're that high, and you're like, well, what, 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 what am I doing, right? I mean, it's just, it's maddening. Yeah, there were there were some like kind of benders in there where I look back and I, I, I can't believe I survived. And you know, she, she lived <laughs> like that for for a very long time. Well, maybe that's why she was so great for you. Why, you know, she wasn't uptight, and she let you be yourself, and you became comfortable in your own skin in a way. She taught you something. You know, I, th I think there are people in your life that sort of get you at some deeper level and they're able to see what makes you great and they're able to pull that out of you. And of course, it gets unfortunate when you try to mix that with like conventional romance, like why aren't we together or something? I think at the end of the day, I look more at the fact that we had a very significant relationship and, you know, it w whether it was me writing songs with her for her most successful record or me being there through some of the tough years when Francis was going through some hard times as a teenager, it's like, it's more of a family deeper tie. And I think that's sort of what is important to me is that whatever that was, was important and it was significant. Um, by the way, you know, we're a lot of times talk about significant that first fucking whole album. I mean, I know you, I know you help her mastermind that thing. That alone, if that was your only accomplishment, that album was un friggin believable. Well, I think you're. T I think you're talking about the third one. Oh yeah, it is the third one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the first one was on Caroline, which is we were label mates. That's kind of how we crossed paths around 1990 or so, and that's when they were doing this like total screamo, noisy New York kind of thing. And then, of course, she was accused of "quote unquote" Kurt writing all her songs on the second album, but actually, that's not totally true. And so she didn't end up getting the credit that she deserved. By the time I worked with her on the third album. Kurt obviously had passed away. She'd been through a lot of troubles, was coming out of rehab. And so she reached out to me as a friend and said, I need, I need, I need someone to kind of guide me through this process. So, um, so yeah, we always share that because that's sort of like, it's like you can have relationships that are kind of funky and they have their lumpy moments. But like when you really need each other, you're kind of there for each other. And I think that's where we kind of round around to all these years. So she definitely wrote those songs. Those were not Kurt Cobain songs. I think Kurt had an influence. I mean, look, he was in the living room and I'm sure he occasionally told her what was a good idea. Um, but I think it's really unfair to take credit away from her, from her own accomplishments, you know, and I think we live in an age now where I think people realize there's a kind of a misogynistic bent under all that. Yeah. People are quick to kind of try to take credit away. 
you know, Courtney's Courtney's uh, unfortunately taken credit for a lot of my songs that I wrote before I even knew her. So <laughs> start there. <laughs> well, that's a hard she's, trick to pull off. Yeah. Yes. By the way, you uh, wrote a taking... song about her, Luna. This is about yes. Courtney, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. yes. Good tune. She tried to destroy me, and uh, this is my reaction. Yeah, Luna. But I get it, man. I mean, I'd be weirded out. It's a beautiful song. How do you get that sound on your voice? Do you always do you double your voice when you're recording? Do you? I used to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind I of love part it. of that sound. It's thick, you know. Yeah. I used to sing like a total idiot, but that's that's the way you get that sound. What do you mean you sang like a total idiot? What does that mean? I didn't like the sound of my voice. So I only liked my voice when it was up really high like that. And there's this long-standing debate in in the Pumpkins fan community that I can't sing like this anymore, but I actually can. I just choose not to. Um, Because it's very hard to sing like that. It's a physically kind of ridiculous way to do it. Hard to sing like this uh, because it's in a lower register? It's like, it's like, no, it's in a high register. It's very up in here. What's Moon Song? Do you sing your babies? You gotta be up here like this. And you have no uh, oxygen to sing. Oh, and that's why you doubled it. You don't like the way that sounds. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a way to sort of like, it's like, it's like wearing the right shirt. You think, oh, I look good in this shirt, so I'm gonna keep doing it. So, and then we had success, so then it became its own kind of monster. Um, you know who doubles his voice? And I love Ozzie. it. Ozzy. That's what I was just going to say. Ozzie that's who Osborne. I stole it from. <laughs> Ozzie, that's who I stole it from. Are you kidding? You know, I read that that you, like early on, said the whole, I think you said you were on acid. And you were at a party. <laughs> and somebody was playing Ravi Shankar in one room. And in the other room was Black Sabbath. That was it's, me, by the way, playing that. <laughs> oh, you were playing both. That was my idea. <laughs> oh, and then when you were li- you were on acid and you were listening to both together. Yeah, you, if you stood in the hallway in the right spot, it was like Ravi in one ear and Black Sabbath in the other. <laughs> Maybe it sounded like this. You're taking me back. <laughs> I'm taking you back. But in a way, I get it. When I like, like here's Silver Fox. This, this is. I see what you mean. That, exactly. That's how you came up with the concept of how your band should sound. I'll cross yeah. Ozzy with Ravi Shankar. And I hear it in this. Yeah. This is good, right? Pretty fucking good. Yeah. You like it. It stands the test of time. Well, the thing for me is, is we were influenced by a lot of the, I, I heard you talking before about Soundgarden. We were influenced by w- what was coming out of Seattle, but I didn't have that kind of voice like Chris had to sing like power rock. So the way our music worked was when we backed off the heaviness just a bit and made it a little bit more sensual and psychedelic, then it went with that voice that I sang in. And, and then it was just suddenly there were just thousands of people. It was like, like a magic trick. Like suddenly everybody wanted to listen to what we were doing. Aren't you so glad, I was thinking about you the other night, aren't you so glad that not only do you write the songs, but you can sing the songs? 
I am I am always blown out by guys like Pete Townsend who have to have Roger Daltrey sing their song, or even like going back to the band when Robbie Robertson would write a song and then someone else had to sing it. I mean, isn't it a blessing that you can also you just were gifted with a voice? It's incredible. Yeah, we were talking the other day that usually in those situations there tends to be animosity between the guy who writes the songs and the guy who sang it. Pete Townsend even once said to me that he was still mad at Roger for singing all his songs like Led Zeppelin. Right. But it sounded so strange to me because I'm like, what do you mean? Roger sang your songs just perfect. But in, but we don't know what was in Pete's head. You see what I mean? That's he right. He had a different vision. Yeah, it almost reminds me of you in the sense that when you would use an orchestration in your songs, and, uh, you know, I was playing this earlier, just the strings of, um, you know, Tonight, Tonight. But you, you're not the kind of musician that knows how to score sheet music. So when you would sit with these musicians, and I don't know how many there were here, you had to sit there and go, and you what, you would hum it to them, and then the, like the violin player would have to figure <laughs> out what the fuck <laughs> you were talking about? No, this uh, we brought over a string arranger from, from England who our producer flooded worked with, like with PJ Harvey and Nick Cave and some of those people. So she had a pedigree of working with rock musicians and she was quite good. So the entire time we were doing this, which took like four days, she kept saying, you can't do that. <laughs> like the, the musicians won't play that note or you can't do that. And I kept saying, why, why? I don't understand. Like, like, you know, on a guitar, there's 24 notes, you play them all. She kept saying, well, the violin player doesn't like playing this note up high in the neck. And I kept thinking, what do you mean? And there's a note in there where it's like, at the very end, there's this really high note. And one of the guys is actually flat if you listen very closely. Like, the guy doesn't quite get to the note. But that's kind of what she was trying to say. Is like, they don't want to play up there. And I was like, but is there is that note on the violin? And she said, yes. And I said, then we're going to use it. Because that's, that's what I heard in my head, you see. But that's why you're great. Because you weren't limited by understanding a violin player's problems. You just heard the notes and you said, no, 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 give me that. And the woman goes, well, I can't give you that. That doesn't exist. And then you made it exist. <laughs> there's something about like classical music heat. Like in wrestling, like there's heat, like good guy, bad guy. But there's classical wrestling heat. Like you can't do that. Like you're outside the... You're outside the realm of the coin here. You can't do these notes. And I kept thinking, what is this? It's like, because they don't think rock and roll. You know, it's like it's rules. and Right. Yeah. Are you most proud of this? I mean, just listening to this right now. My God. I mean, it, I, I get chills. What does it do to you? Is this maybe your greatest accomplishment? I don't know. It's an interesting point. Um I've been thinking a lot lately because I'm working on a new album. There's the album coming out, but I'm working on an album that will be the next album. And it's all very guitar heavy. We're kind of going yeah. back in that. I'm kind of in the mood. And so I've been thinking a lot about these old times, these times with Courtney and the band and playing clubs. And I'm trying to kind of find how much I'm still interested in that. And one thing that occurs to you and is hard, I think, for people to understand is you kind of get on a roll like a gambler. You start to get a confidence that you don't have. And people are telling you you're great and you start to believe you're great and yeah so in the midst of all that i had the audacity to do something like tonight tonight to tell some woman who was classically trained no i know better than you and crazy and somehow it worked but as i'm saying yeah. you look back and you shake you say thank god that this works somehow because it, it really shouldn't have like for example and musicians would understand we didn't do tonight tonight to a click so the orchestra had a pay, play to the band speeding up and slowing down i mean that's like a nightmare to them 
You had no click track. In other words, you had no constant beef that they could that they could go to. And when when you you write in 2023, people would have said you can't do this. There's no way. Yeah. But but, but Billy, when you write tonight, tonight, like like, okay, this this orchestration is beautiful. When you first come up with the song. You didn't have this orchestration in your head, did you? Did, did, did no, you I just did. come up with? You did. All at no, once. I heard the orchestra. And, well, I didn't hear it like it's not the finished thing, but I hear the sound. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. It's like a sound. So when the band was working on the song, I kept saying to the band, "We have to play the song underneath the orchestra, like the Who." So if you listen to the song without the orchestra, we're basically doing our bad imitation of the Who. Ah. In other words. If I was to listen to this song without this orchestration, yeah, sounds like the hook. It just it wouldn't make it. It would sound like the hook. But I'm saying the whole time, I had this. I kept hearing this like roar in my head. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. But imagine telling people like, yeah, we got to put this roar I hear in my head on the track. They're like, okay, well, what are the notes? You know what I mean? Are you frustrated you by that limitation? Are you frustrated that you don't know how to? write the notes down on a piece of paper well i used to get in this argument with my father because my father used to say it's good you were abused child because it made you a better rock star oh and i used to say to my dad if i wasn't abused i might have been a really good classical composer because i have some chops in that in that area i have no training but i mean i have an innate understanding of complex harmony or whatever whatever you would need to succeed in that world and um Did you want to smash your father in the head when he said that to you? Because my mother recently said something to me about, I think it was really good the way you grew up and and the trauma you suffered. Um, You have a lot to talk about. And I went, no, maybe I would be greater. Maybe I wouldn't have to sit in a psychiatrist's office every fucking day trying to that's exactly we made this right we made the same point right so i said to my you know but so anyway i had to make peace with the idea that this is just the life i end up with like it's it turned out fine you know what i mean like yes i might have been that person or i might be working at mcdonald's so it's it's all good you know yeah no your old man was a piece of work (laughs) the most you know you know you know it's funny the new tour uh by the way Billy's going to be talking about this later, but the the world is a vampire tour. The tickets are on sale March 31st at 10 a.m. I suggest you get some. But I, I was like, oh, that's such a great name for a tour because that's one of my favorite lines you ever wrote. The world is a vampire. But then um, then I said, no, maybe it should have been I used to be a little boy tour because, uh, you know, that's the line that gets me the most that you ever wrote. I used to be a little boy. And that's when I think of you. That's what I think about because it's such a beautiful line. How could you not be a good parent to me? I used to be this cute little boy. And I think about your life, and and I don't know, you know, your mom had to go into a mental institution when she was four years old. That, when you were four years old, that had to fuck your head up. You're at home with the old man who's no fun. And your mom. Yeah. Oh, he left. (laughs) So what happened? Did you just get passed off? Yeah. My father split with my brother who was younger. And they went to Puerto Rico. My father was playing in a lounge band or something. And so I was left with my mother. And then my mother disintegrated from there. And within like maybe six to nine months, she had a complete breakdown. And I never lived with her again. Like that was the end of our time together. You know, I don't know that. I didn't realize you never lived with her again. You, you, you oh, mean, no, that was it. After she was, did she spend the rest of her years, those those formative years of yours, in a mental institution? Or did she get no, out? She was in no the one... institution. A, a, a relative recently told me because I didn't know what happened after she got out of the institution. She went to live with a member of 
of our family, our extended family. And she said for years, your mother was like, claimed the cats were talking to her and space aliens were chasing her. So she was totally dysfunctional for years. So I didn't see her for a few years. And then one day they came and got me and said, do you want to go see your mother? And I thought, yeah, sure. You know, and they took me to this, like, like literally a garage that had been converted into an apartment. And I don't know what they did to her shock therapy or she was like a different person. Mm. So imagine you remember what your mother's like, your mother's gone. And then two or three years later, you're back with your mother. And it's like, she's a totally different human being, like different physical mannerisms, very muted, very quiet, um, didn't want to be touched. So there was no intimacy. Like you couldn't lay next to her. It was just, it was a bizarro world and no one did anything to explain to me. And then that's how I ended up in the situation where my father and my stepmother, and then my father went to jail and I up living with my stepmother. So, and, but I, my, I used to go see my mother, like every two to four weeks, we would go visit her and, you know, hang out on Sunday and have dinner and then go back home to the, all the abuse and everybody knew what was going on and nobody did anything. Your mother never held you, never touched you. She was phobic about touching and and stuff. So you'd go visit this stranger as a kid. And yeah. probably in some ways it was torture because you don't write. It's almost like someone took over your mother's body. And now there's a stranger yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to build a completely different relationship with whoever this person was now. And she didn't want me to be her kid. She wanted me to almost be like a buddy or a nephew. And she would, she would get mad if we were out in public and I referred to her as mom. She didn't want people thinking she was my mother and why we weren't living together. So I wasn't allowed to call her mom in public mm. because she didn't want Could, people asking questions. She was embarrassed <laughs> because after all, here's yes. a woman not living with her son. And yeah. she was worried about the, what the people would think. Hey, they. Yeah, it was. It was what complicated. A, <laughs> complicated. I don't know how you how you come out of that. It, well, you do that, drugs with Courtney in an expensive hotel. That's, that's how you deal with it. Do you it. think? But getting back to that story, do you think that's why you were so angry with Butch Vig? Like, hey, you know, you stole my uh, my guitar sound. You gave it to Nirvana. Maybe all the angst you had with other bands, and and do you think that really what it was was all that anger from? Having a mother who, oh yeah, basically, I wasn't yeah. mad at, I wasn't mad at Butch. It was just, you know, I think I've had an issue in my life, and it's we worked it out. I think in the band over time, but I've had an issue with loyalty. You know, like people that really want to ride or die with you to the end. And um, yeah. I'm glad that I've sorted it out in certain areas of my life, but in other areas, it just never got sorted out. Um, you know, I mean, if you start with your mother and father, and your your father abandons you for other pursuits and your mother abandons you basically because of mental illness and never wants to kind of put the pieces back together. That's where you start. So I think you go out of your way consciously or unconsciously to attract people who are going to do it again and again and again. And you, you find yourself sitting in a coffee house someday saying, why is this happening to me? And eventually you figure out you're somehow you're, you're creating it. You're creating this, this setup. As a little kid, we tend to blame ourselves. In other words, you say, Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm not lovable. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. No one wants to know me. My father doesn't give a shit. My mother doesn't give a shit. So there's something wrong with me. That's the hard thing to correct. Can you ever get rid of that feeling that there's something wrong with you? Listen, Howard, I'm 56 and people are still telling me there's something wrong with me. And I've, <laughs> I've been a successful 
but are you telling you 30 years are you telling no. you is no, there's no. nothing wrong with me no there was never anything wrong with me everything i did in life was a reaction to what i thought i had to do or what i thought i needed to do to get love or whatever i'm just a talented nerd who worked it out and i think it's been interesting my reaction to all these things and the, the silly things i did and said and i you know i was like talking to you know a guy from rolling stone the other day to talk about the tour and and he's asking me these questions and i'm like you're basically talking about the guy that i was before and i said look at my life right now i own a tea house i own a wrestling company i have two beautiful children philomena and augustus age four and seven i've been with the same partner for 10 years we're getting married you know she's a daughter of a very famous fashion designer i mean I, i'm i'm really surrounded by good people the band is very peaceful everybody's very happy we're happy to be here with you again today thank you like life is awesome life right. is awesome and and people don't want to let go of, like they they don't want to let go of like yeah but in 94 you said and it's like yeah i said that but that's just part of the gig, you know what I mean? I, it was a crazy time, you know. Did you did you when, when um your mother has the history she has? Did you worry as a kid growing up that maybe I'm crazy? Did you start to think any time I could no. lose my mind? You didn't. No. No, in fact, everybody who was crazy around me relied on me to be the center of everything. So my stepmother who used to beat me would sit me down at the table and ask me for advice on her boyfriends. Mm. I, my father would be in jail and asking me for advice on what I thought he should do with his music life. I mean, it was very strange. I was obviously a very precocious child. You know, when I was young, I was tested with a very high IQ and put in gifted school programs. It was very progressive 70s stuff where they had all these kind of starter programs and stuff like that. So I was discovered at a very early age to have some talent and kind of put in and so I had this like weird life where home life was a complete disaster and I had all this responsibility, including raising a disabled child. And then I would go to school and I was like, you know, the star student, you know, it was like weird, really weird stuff. So you weren't a bullied kid or, or, or the weird kid. You were the genius. Oh, I was, no, I was, no, I was definitely bullied. No, I was definitely bullied. This, this birthmark really? I have alone was, was, was enough. They used to say when I was a kid that if I touched you with my red hand, you would die. <laughs> you have a, uh, a a hand that is uh, reddish in color yeah, because I mean, it's what what yeah, is all it, the way up my arm is it's birthmark yeah it's a birthmark and the kids I, would, can I tell you a quick story yeah you mind a quick story so we used to when I lived with my dad when he was when he was dealing drugs we lived next door to this uh, very old school Italian family the grandparents had come over didn't speak any English and one day the the old lady who was probably like eighty ninety couldn't speak a word but came over me and and was motioning at my arm and said and she was basically doing this thing like you know how you would emulate in pantomime somebody's pregnant like you do your stomach out she's like pregnant mommy mommy and i'm like okay i don't know what you're saying she pointed at my arm and said did your father punch your mother in the stomach that's how you get a birthmark when you're a baby Oy. and i thought it was kind of funny because i guess it's like an old wives tale right so i went to my father and i told him the story and i said you didn't punch mom in the stomach when she was pregnant he goes oh no i did <laughs> wow <laughs> how heavy is that i mean and then you start to think oh my god what did, you know and, and did the kids come like i'm reading paul stanley from kiss his book and he's talking about the he you know he was born with a deformed ear yeah and, yeah and, and they called him stanley the monster at school stanley mm. the one-eared monster and it it mm. wrecked him he just lived in fear of this name and the kids well he got his revenge didn't he he sure as fuck did. He showed I mean, them. <laughs> he did. He did. But, you know, in a way, he says, that's how come I created this character. That's how why I became a rock star. And in a way, you know, 
the kids can be so cruel if you have a birth. Anything different, you're fucked. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, I guess in a way, becoming the fame, the world famous rock star, you're like, hey, fuck you all. You, all of you who made fun of me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I have to, I hate to tell you that it doesn't solve that problem. No. No. In fact, that was part of why I had such great depression in the late 90s and early 2000s because I had actually gotten to the top of the mountain. I looked around and I thought, no, this doesn't solve the problems. In it other didn't words, solve you, any problems. In other words, you figured if I become a big, famous rock star, super successful, everyone's listening to my music, all of the feelings of abandonment, all of the feelings of um, my uh, my red arm and people making fun of me, it would all wash away and everything would be perfect. And yeah. you learn it's not because you really are seeking the love, the kind of love a mother and father should have given you, not the kind that an adoring audience gives you. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I've had so many problems with, you know, uh, romantic relationships in my life. And and when I look back, I I was trying to get something I never got from my mother. And over and over again, I asked a stranger, you know what I mean, who wasn't yep. as invested as my mother should have been to to give me that sort of attention that I give my kids. You know, this I'm willing to listen to every story and play video games with you for three hours and all that stuff that I didn't get. Um, and so you 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 eventually learn that no no amount of anything can take away that pain. And the only thing you can do is just heal yourself and. And move on. And I think that's what's so nice is somehow I was able to keep the music thing somewhat intact. So when I was able to figure all this stuff out in the last 10 years and then I put the pieces back together of my musical life and my personal life, well, then I'm like, wow, this is this is not only is it great, it's been great the whole time. And I wish yeah. I sort of enjoyed it more. You know, I liken it to a black hole inside of you when you don't have the love of a mother and father, the proper kind of love. You're exactly right. You turn to women and you go, be my mother. Love me unconditionally. <laughs> Take Not care very sexy. of me. No, and they can't. And there's no Does woman that work on for the... you, Robin, when they say, will you be my mother? <laughs> no. She has a fetish. <laughs> no. But that Billy, never worked. a woman cannot fulfill that. It's too neat. You come off as needy. Is that the. It's very unfair, too, if you really think yes. about it. It's yeah. Very unfair. Um, yeah, I mean, and I've and I've met and I've met people. It's interesting because I know some people in rock where that's their relationship. Like the wife is the mother, and yep. the, and the rock star gets to play the kid. And I I've always kind of looked down my nose at that. Like you're a rock star. Like what is this infantilizing kind of thing going on here? Like you know, oh he's he's too in his rock star mode to you know think about reality or some shit. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that I didn't fall into that trip because. Trust me, there's plenty of women who will play the role of your mother for the upside of being in a relationship with somebody who's successful. That's not that's not unusual. But well, yesterday I was, I was always they, well, yesterday I was playing Ozzy's Mama, I'm Coming Home. And Mama was what uh, Ozzy called Sharon, um, you know, when he was on the road to go, Mama, I'm coming home. I mean, uh, in a way it was and, and Sharon took care of every one of his needs. She did give him beautiful mothering. And, you know, who's to judge? It's. <laughs> me <laughs> yeah beside you i mean of course you have to speaking of judging and, and i want to i want to get back to this but we were having an uh, you know i voted on this rock and roll hall of fame thing this year and i vowed i never would but they sent me the ballot and i saw some friends on there and all that but i voted for uh sound garden gary delabate did you hear us arguing he he said i did he hear voted, a little bit of the argument yes he voted for the spinners over willie nelson and Soundgarden. I take offense at that. 
what do you say? Who's right? You know, what's difficult about music is what attaches to people when they're young never leaves them. So for all we know, Gary lost his virginity to could it be I'm falling in love in the back of a Cadillac or something, you know? Or rubber band man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I've always said, I've talked to you about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I forget even where you stand with it at this point. But, you know, you. It, what a, I mean, it's crazy you're not in there. I mean... You know, it just doesn't. You know, it's sense. you know, it's crazy when the journalists start apologizing on your behalf <laughs> for you, <laughs> right? And that that happened to me the other day, and the guy wanted me to wade into it, and I said, "No, I'm just not going to do this anymore." This is this gets into clickbait, yeah. You know, and and like a lot of things that you know, people use the clickbait to kind of create the energy that they're looking for. So the debate now, the yearly debate about this, has become part of what makes people interested in it, and I think what gets lost is. It's kind of the same thing with like baseball hall of fame. It's like if you if you're successful in the music business and like we know who the spinners are, we know those songs. So it's hard to argue against them. So right. then it gets into more like what what qualifies as like the best of the best or who belongs in there. And obviously the 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 what they're after over time is changed. So you kind of sit there and say, well, why'd you call it the rock and roll hall of fame if you're putting pop stars in and right, you know? So now it just seems like a social media mess. So I've just decided to stay out of it now. I mean, there's no, there's no winning in that one. Is the guitar, um, you know, I, I want to say the, 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 the nerd in you that, you know, spent endless hours listening to music, practicing music, writing songs. Do you ever get caught up in these lists of who the greatest guitar player was of all time? And again, I know there's nuance, but we got into this the other day and I was thinking of you. Because I was doing this uh, rap about the greatest guitar player, and Adam Levine sent me his list of the top five greatest guitar players. We all started arguing because it was some list that came out that said Brian May is the number one greatest guitar player of all time. And I said, Brian May is a very inventive guy, great guitar player. I'm not going to disparage him. But to me, the top three, it has to always be Jimi Hendrix because of the way he revolutionized the electric guitar. And then either Eddie Van Halen or Jimmy Page. Do you, can, does that disturb you? Do, you? do you ever think about things like that? I know it's trivial, but do you think about that? I mean, yeah, we sit around in the van sometimes. And we have these debates. I think it's more, um, I agree with your top three. There's this kind of, that's a kind of a no-brainer. Um, it's more about, like, who gets credit, like, say, past the top tier. And what often happens is the imitators get praised when the innovators get left aside. Right. So that's where maybe Brian May over time, maybe has gotten a due that he deserves, which is because he was an innovator and many people, including myself stole from what he created. So that's where it gets complicated. Plus rock and roll is built for people to steal. That's right. It's, you know I mean? Go back and listen to the fifties channel on Sirius. It's like everybody's ripping each other off left and right. The minute right. Elvis shows up, everybody's suddenly doing an Elvis imitation. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just rock and roll. That's just how it rolls. Well, you couldn't have become a great musician and composer unless you spent endless hours listening to all of the greats. All you're doing is building upon their knowledge. And I and I, I don't even want to say stall because I know this is true of painters. You you sit and copy. That's how you learn how to paint. You copy the masters. You see how they did it. And then you do it. And then you come but up my with father your own style. My father caught me one time trying to imitate something, and he came downstairs where I was rehearsing by myself, and he said, don't copy. 
It's one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got. And he said, don't copy, do your own thing. So what I learned to do was to listen, figure out why they were doing what they were doing, and then make it my own. And that right. was the difference for me. What is this father of yours? He was a mu- he was a, was he a good <laughs> musician? What did he play? I mean, the- he was a great musician. He was my father was really talented. I mean, he just he just blew every chance he had. I think he was one of those guys that was very insecure, and so every time he did have an opportunity, he'd blow it with drugs or whatever. He just he would just blow it. He's just one of those people. But he was very talented. How long did he go to prison for? Well, my father was arrested for three major felonies in three different decades. Jeez. Like 76, somewhere in the 80s, and then somewhere in the 2000s. I can't remember. It was crazy. Always heavy, basically dealing drugs to make money to do whatever he was doing, including funding a habit. And he must have been bad at it because he kept getting caught. You know what I mean? I think, I think, I don't think he wanted to be that guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In he wasn't words, an arch criminal. He was a very smart right. guy, but I don't think he, I, I don't think he, he was like, imagine a guy like, look, my father would take to bed in when the band was starting circa 87, right? My dad would be in bed for three, four days with the quote unquote, the flu. I had no idea. He told me later that he was coming off a of heroin or whatever. That was what was going on. So if you're that guy and you're caught in that endless cycle, well, and you have no, you're getting older and you have no musical prospect. And the only other thing you're good at is fixing cars. You know, you have no future. And he told me many times he sat on the bed and put a loaded gun in his mouth and tried to pull the trigger. and He couldn't include his one story. I always told, I heard you guys, meaning us kids, I heard your voices and I decided not to shoot myself, you know? Mm. And, you know, so he, so I think it was like, well, cause he used to say kind of like I should be dead anyway. So his, he was kind of fatalistic. It was like, well, it doesn't matter what happens to me. So I might as well roll big and try to score big on selling drugs. And it was obviously the rationalization of a drug addict, but, um, I don't think he wanted that. He wasn't into it. Do you think his depression, what was it like for him as he started to see you succeed as a musician? Do you think he envied you? Oh, that was, that was a bad scene. Bad scene, <laughs> he was right? Nice. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. He, he was, he, he got was jealous. really jealous. It was, I, I, I was shocked. Cause you know, in my mind, you know, it's like, yeah, I watched too many Disney movies, but I thought he would pat me on the head and say, good job, kid. I'm so proud of you. It was the exact opposite. It was like, he acted like I played some weird magic trick and I got lucky and he would use words like lucky and save your money because you're going to need it and it's not going to go in the last. It was all this doom talk. Oh. And I was just taken off like a rocket and I was like, this is really weird. So he put all that vibe on me, but it was the album Siamese Dream, I think, including the song you mentioned before, Disarm. He, he he listened to the album and he called me afterwards and said, I don't know who this person is singing this album. Like, I want to know, is that you in there? Like, and he Jesus. gave me this weird talk, like, like, is that who you really are? And I was like, yes, it's me. I've been here the whole time. Hello, it's your son, you know, Bill. Hello. Yeah. He acted like I was a total stranger. And then he tried to tell me weird shit. Like you were so quiet as a kid. And I said, no, because every time I opened my mouth, you told me to shut the fuck up. So eventually yeah. I just took the note. Like a quick story. My father was really good at working on cars. And like a little boy, I wanted to be close to my dad so bad. I would just go sit in the garage while he worked on a car just to be near him. And he wouldn't even talk to me or look at me because I just wanted anything from him just to be in his proximity. And then years later, he'd tell me these stories like, 
oh, I don't remember that. Or, you know, it'd be like, what are you talking about? It's like so weird. It is so weird. My father was really good with carpentry, and I'd go down to the basement to watch him, and he'd be so angry with me. Like, you don't know how to do this. Get out of the room. Like, don't you dream of a father who would have said to you, son, I want to teach you my love for cars. I'm going to show you how to fix a car. Let's see if we can do this together. Would have been magical, magnificent. When I wanted to play the guitar, he, he didn't want me to play the guitar. I mean, I'm following my father into the family business, and he, was, he did everything to dissuade me from playing music. Mind-blowing. It was so weird. And yeah, you, you can't so wrap weird. you... I mean, for the rest of your life, you, I mean, no wonder you went through massive depression and, and quite frankly, considered suicide. But here's the crazy thing. So, like, after he died, I went to his, his house to kind of... His wife let me rummage through his stuff and pick some of the stuff I wanted. And next to his bed was uh, the lyric book for Melancholy. And it was really weathered. And his wife said he used to just sit in bed and listen to this album and read the lyrics. God. And it's like, how is the guy who tells me, shut the fuck up? I, I, want, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I don't even want to show you. Here's a quick story. When I, was, I, when I was like maybe 10 and my brother was 8, he loved my brother way more than me. It was like one of those weird things. My brother was, he could do no wrong. Ricky is my brother's name. He tried to teach Ricky the guitar, and Ricky didn't give a shit about music, didn't want to learn the guitar. And I remember sitting there watching my father teach my brother the guitar, and my brother's like kind of half going through the motions, like not wanting to do it like a little kid would. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, hello, I'm the guy who wants to learn how to play the guitar. He wouldn't even give me the guitar. How can we figure this out? It's, it's impossible. <laughs> I don't it's know. Just, it's, what an oddball. I mean, it's just so strange, your old man. I mean, it's so crazy. Yeah. When you would sit in your room and practice, and I mean, you'd be listening to music and try to, you know, he never even walked in and go, son, uh, gee, uh, you know, let, let me see what you're doing. What, you know, I mean, man, it's crazy. crazy. Now, there was one moment I was living with him and I was playing guitar like, crazy every day i wanted to be in Malmsteen, you know i was like shredding like crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah and and one day he came in and he kind of gave me this look and i thought oh he's going to tell me to turn off he can't stand it anymore and he said you're actually getting good oh. that was his compliment you're actually wow. getting good and then he left so i was like oh my god like a blessing from on high i got i got like the occasional like crumb like you're not bad you know like that kind yeah of stuff. and that's confusing too because you start to believe well maybe my dad isn't so bad you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I've misinterpreted this guy, but, you know. No, to, his, and, to, yeah. to his eternal credit, we had many conversations before he died. And he, he said, I really underestimated you. And now I now I get it and I understand and I realize how great you are. But so I got that from him. It was a little too late. It's too late. I got it. Yeah. Well. At least you got it, but you know what? It, it's not satisfying because, as you know, you used to be a little boy, and that's when you needed it. You needed a man in your life to step in and say, you know what? You're pretty terrific just because you're my son. You're pretty fucking great because you're, you, 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 you know, you, you're, you're, you're the sunshine in my life. You know, that's what Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell my kids all the time, because like, you know, a lot of people always ask me, are your kids going to go into music? And, you know, it's typical stuff. And I said, I just want my kids to be happy. And I tell my kids all the time, Daddy just wants you to be happy. Right. Whatever makes you happy, that's what's important to me. I want you to be happy. You know, you've described the period of time. I'm always fascinated by this. 
you had a period in your time in your history where you said, you know, I was suicidal. And I don't know how close you came. Were you hospitalized for that? Did you, I mean, how, did you put a gun in your mouth? Was, 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 did you come that close? No, my, my overarching obsession, and when it got really bad, it was during the making of Siamese Dream Times, 92. Um, I would take a lot of drugs and I would stand at a window and I would try to will myself to throw myself out the window. And I just couldn't do it. And then you do this weird inversion where you start to think you're weak because you won't kill yourself. Right. So then it becomes more depression. Like you don't even have the spine to kill yourself. And I'm, I, I thank God every day that I, I, I was weak and I didn't throw myself out a window. You understand? Like, thank yes. God I had the sense to not go out a window. And, and the, the other part of your history that I find so fascinating, you decide I want to live. And within, I don't know, is it within a half hour you wrote today and, yeah. um, and disarm? You wrote both songs rapidly. In, in, basically in, in two days, yeah. Wow. I, 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 I guess this is not unusual, and I apologize to anyone who's a clinician, but my understanding is it's not unusual that a person will pick a date, like, okay, Friday's the day. And so it's like you get geared up for the big game, like, okay, I'm going to go out the window on Friday. And I got to that day, and I woke up, and I was like, today's the day, huh? Hmm. I don't know. And then I had to sit there on my bed and think, okay, if you're not going to kill yourself, what are you going to do? Because you can't keep doing whatever you're doing. Because I'd given away all my stuff and I basically prepared for my death. I was fantasizing about what my, my casket was going to look like, which is all bad right. indicators. And so I was like, okay, if you're going to live and you're going to go forward, you can't, not only do you have to let go of all the suicidal stuff, you have to have the courage to do whatever it is you're so afraid of. Cause, cause it's, it's hard to explain it in my mind. Um, failing, failing was the next worst thing to death or something. Like it, does it make sense? It's like, yeah. I, I mean, the song I, actually, I, I, the song now makes sense too, because when you say today is the greatest day of my life, I always, when I've talked to people who are suicidal, the day they decide that they are going to kill themselves, it's one of their happiest days when they make the commitment. So I always thought today is the greatest day of my life, man. This is the day I get rid of all my misery, all my pain. I get to jump out the window, you know. But maybe you weren't saying that. Maybe you were saying I've now decided to live and today is the greatest day of yes, my life. Yes, that's it. That's the message. Wow. So I had it wrong. And not only, and not only decide to live, but I'm going to be myself. Because I've been told my whole life that who I was was a bad idea. Right. You can't say that. You can't think like that. The way you walk, the way, everything was it was like critical, critical, critical. And then when you enter into the dumb world of rock and roll, and then you got some journalist who can't even play guitar telling you what an idiot you are, you know, all that stuff happens, which didn't help because I was young. So when I finally made the decision, it was like, okay, I'm going to be the real William Patrick Corgan, whoever that is, because I'm now I would I didn't even know. So when songs like Today and Disarm started popping out of me, no one was more shocked than me. And trust me, then when I took those songs into practice, the band was even more shocked. It was like, what is this? I mean, like, this we're a psychedelic song, rock band. Did you ever have a moment in your life that you could define where, in a sense, you come you know you come out of this miserable thing? Your mother's not in your life. She was sent away. She becomes this, you know, other person. Your father has no interest in you. Your stepmother's beating you. And you're focused on music. 
in a way that no one else is. You you have a high IQ, your genius level. But then, was there a day that came that you emerged from your bedroom or wherever the hell you were and got up on stage and played, and everybody went, "Oh my God!" Was there a defining moment like that? Not that I remember now. It, it was because even gradual. when we were super. But even when we were successful, it was just constant criticism. Now, now, let me say this. Maybe there was a lot of praise, but I didn't hear it. Because when you're in that mindset, you just hear the criticism. It's like if, if somebody talks to you for a minute and they say one small critical thing, and that's all you remember about the conversation. So right. that may have been my life. People may have been told me how great it was every five seconds, and I just didn't hear it. Right. So, you weren't in any shape memory, to hear it. But my memory was like, you know... uh you know, like we would get on stage and play to 15,000 people and, and I'd walk off stage and somebody would be standing backstage saying, you shouldn't have done that and you shouldn't have done this and people are mad and you're such an idiot. And that's what I remember was I was an wow. idiot. Every time I turned around, I was an idiot. And I kept thinking, this is so weird because like, I, I can't imagine that's how they would treat like an NBA player or something like, you know, hey, you only got 10, 10 points and eight rebounds. You're an idiot. Like. How is that going to make the guy go out and play better next game? But that's the world right. I grew up in. I guess if it was a movie, there would have been, like, for me, it's everything cinematic. It would have been, like, this moment with this epiphany, like, oh, my God, like, every girl wants me. Uh, I, I'm standing here with my guitar singing, and everyone is just responding to it. But you say it was the opposite. You were in no condition. No, around the time anything. that you and I first met, sort of in the mid-'90s, and you were having a moment, and I was having a moment sort of at the same time-ish, Right. You know, I, I looked at your life and I was like, this is amazing, like what you're doing. And then in my life, it was like, I felt like it was like everything was crumbling beneath me. Wow. Because that's what I'm saying. It's like you have the number one album. You know, you, 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 you bet your whole life on a double album. It's huge, massive. You're on MTV every five seconds. And every time I turned around, I just had somebody in my ear tell me I was an idiot. It's such a I mean, weird the, experience. The, 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 the internal voice was the was no, someone no. telling you no i'm you. saying i literally was surrounded by people who were either not supportive or telling me i how was an idiot happen? or i, I how does that i don't happen? know what do you mean who were these people your management well like at the time where you and i would have first met we had the same management as metallica right you know what i mean and, and they're it was telling very you they're just very negative it would be wow. like it would be like if you're like, uh, I'm going to use a really poor analogy, but for the sake of your your audience's uh, fatigue, <laughs> it'd be like you make a, a an amazing meal and somebody takes you in a room and goes, if you would just make a fucking hot dog, you'd be 10 times bigger and make a lot more money. Why can't you just make a fucking hot dog? And you're like, but I'm a master chef and I make these beautiful cakes. And, and they're like, no, you're a fucking dummy. You need to make hot dogs. And do you think because of your background and your childhood, you accepted that? In other words, you said, you know what? Yes. Yeah. I, if, you know if, what? Your own parents right. tell, if your own parents, if your own parents tell you you're a fucking idiot, and then the guy 15 years down the road is telling you an idiot, and he's the manager of this band and this band and this band, and they've had all these success, you're thinking, well, maybe that's just how it is. Oh. What do I know? How did you? I, I mean, how did by you the way, get away? there wasn't Google back then. You couldn't Google this shit up. You know what I mean? There was no right. Google. Like, who do I talk to? Hey, Billy. And you know, the uh, I mentioned the other song you wrote as you you decided to live was "Disarm," which you know, this song is no greater masterpiece. Listen to this thing. 
can I can I can I explain something to you that I think you're I think you're after? Okay, I'm gonna follow your logic. I'm the guy who wrote that song. I'm the guy who arranged those strings. I did that song when I was about 25 years old, and it was a big hit song. Not once after that song did anybody in my life, anybody, call me in a room and say, "Can you give me more of that?" Really? Not even the record not company. Not one time. Not one time did anybody sit me down and say, "Can you write me more of those songs?" They were like, "Give me more of the ones that sell sausages." Do you understand? And bullet, yeah. but, bullet with butterfly wings, which you, we've performed on your show in the past. Bullet with butterfly wings was my saying. You want me to be this rat in the cage? Here I am. Here's the dumb yeah. beat. Here's the big rock chorus. And it was a big hit. And they were like, great, give me more of that. And to this day, by the way, and that's what, 28 years ago? To this day, the fans, God bless them, and the critics are still asking for more of the rat in the cage guy. They ain't asking for this guy. You understand? It, yeah. it reconfirms everything that your parents told you, which is if you're not this, you're worthless. You're you're you have no value. If you're not willing to take care of a disabled kid and give up your whole childhood, you're worthless. If you're not willing to sacrifice in these ways, you are worthless. If you're not willing to do what we say, you are worthless. Worthless. Yeah. Not you have some value. You are worthless. And then I would go to school and the teacher would pull me aside and say, you're such a brilliant person. You're so kind. What is going on in your home life? And I was told under penalty of death, if I told my teachers, anybody, the physical violence going on in my home, I would end up in a juvenile foster home. Wow. So I was, I, was, I was bullied and threatened into a spot and nobody was there to help me. So when you're a big rock star and you're making songs like Disarm and you've gone through these suicidal periods and you accomplish everything and then you got to read the review about how much you suck and how horrible you are and then you turn around to your management and they tell you, Oh, you're doing it all wrong and you're getting bad press and you need to shut your fucking mouth and all these things. You understand? You're trying to fight forward. Like, well, who am I? Because yeah. they keep telling you, we're going to get rid of you. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to get rid of you. You have no value. It's crazy. You're only here for a cup of coffee to use the wrestling term. So well, you go into a different mode, which is survival. I, I did a thing once at South by Southwest. It was the last time they invited me, by the way. <laughs> And I did a thing and I, it was, it was full of all these rock critic types with beards and stuff. And I said, um, uh, I asked the audience to raise their hand if they, if they bought any of my music at any time, whether it was one song or an album. And literally everybody, 1500 people raised their hands. This is snobby South by Southwest land. This is all the intelligentsia. As I was talking and being as honest there as I am with you, a guy stood up and started criticizing me. And I told him to come up on stage and I said, if you're going to criticize me, criticize me right to my face and let everybody see it. Don't, don't hide behind a microphone way in the back. And the guy said, up, you're up here, you're up here whining about your life and we got to hear this shit and da, 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 da. And why can't you just, just be happy and make music? And I said, your mistake is you think I'm making music for you. I'm making music to survive. I don't give a fuck about you. Music is my survival. That's why I'm still here. I'm not here for you. You got this all twisted. <laughs> so what do you think? That's, that's, yeah, that's where I that all comes from. No, I, I understand that kind of anger. I, it, it lives it lives in me, too. What would you have done <laughs> without music? Well, you know, I'd like, be dead. Yeah. I'd be dead. I, I, that, that is an easy equation for me. I'd be dead. This world's insane. I mean, you talk about it all the time. This world's crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy. 
We celebrate things that shouldn't be celebrated. We put people down we should love and cherish. We don't, we're not able to show each other kindness when we should show kindness, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's okay to have a laugh, but it, like everybody's got to know where the lines are sometimes. We live in a crazy, crazy world. I mean, these songs that you write, uh, you know, when I think about your life, that you were able to create something out of your misery <laughs> is really is really spectacular. And I mean, it ain't easy what you went through because uh, you got you got like the triple whammy, the abusive stepmother. How bad were the beatings? Was she what, what would it, what would she do? Um. You know, there's the, there's the greatest hits, but, um, it was more the constant threat of violence. Anybody who grows grown up in that environment, it's like, it wasn't, it's like t Tom Petty had the song, the waiting is the hardest part. Yeah. It, the beatings would actually be the end of it. It was the waiting to be beaten that was far more damaging. Cause she used to come in and beat me in the middle of the night when I was sleeping and make me clean the house and stuff. So. Once you're in that environment, every night you go to bed, you're like, okay, what's going to be tonight? You know what I mean? You don't sleep. <laughs> I, you know, and you're right. The waiting's the worst. It's not the beating itself. It's trying to predict this woman's mood. What is on her mind? And you're, you have to, you have to become a student of the abuser. What can I do? They call it hypervigilance. Hypervigilance. Yep. You become very observant and you start to, unfortunately, you start to identify with your oppressor. What do they call it? Stockhausen syndrome. Stockholm you want to, you want to yeah. figure out, you want to figure out how to ameliorate the, what's happening. So you start to identify and start to think like the person who's torturing your brain. And that turns you into a different person too. So she'd wake you up in the middle of the night and start whacking you. And you don't, oh, yeah. and you're like, what I do? What, 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 what's uh, going I'm on? Not, no, we're, ta we're talking about like being thrown downstairs. We're talking like, Crazy, dangerous shit. Crazy. Like, and you, and you criminal, couldn't go crazy. to your father. You couldn't go to your father because he, he was checked out. And uh, your mother is checked out too. Eventually, I, I did have the courage to go to my father. Probably when I was about 14. It had been going on for too long. And I had a lot of responsibility in the home. Like I said, taking care of a disabled brother and another younger brother. And of course, I was trying to be a student, coming of age and all that stuff. And so finally, I called my father in for a meeting. And... uh and I, I took the chance to say everything that was happening, including the violence in the home, out loud, as opposed to like, you know, and I know, but let's pretend it ain't there. I said it out loud and in Very the middle brave. of my well, in the, in the middle of my well prepared solilo soliloquy, my father slammed his fist on the table as hard as he could and said, shut the fuck up. Mm, boy. He said, she's your mother. Deal with it. It's your problem. That was the end of the discussion. Wow. What a, what a prince that guy was, huh? <laughs> did he ever come to you in chicago a piece of work a piece of work did he ever come to you looking for um uh, you know money or uh, like to enjoy oh, he stole your... money from me multiple times oh. really as oh, yeah. you got more famous and and uh, had money you have, you have i ever told you the story about the lottery no do you have like three minutes to hear a really amazing Absolutely. story uh, oh okay. so my father had come out of jail at some other thing we we weren't talking at this point and he knew we weren't talking. And he'd come out of jail and he was living in some sort of drug den underneath the train tracks in Chicago, like the L. Like, you know, it's like the worst place to live underneath the tracks, right? And we had some occasional contact, but it was very, very uh, distant. And one day he called me and said, can I take you out to dinner? Sure. 
he showed up, new clothes, new car. And I said, um, did you rent this car? And he laughed and said, sort of. And so we kind of reestablished contact, but it made no sense where he was coming from. And he told me he was moving back to Florida out of Chicago. Okay, fine. Typical family stuff. And then I kept hearing from relatives, did your dad win the lottery? And I said, no. But it got so pervasive that I eventually finally texted him and said, did you win the lottery? And he said, call me. His wife's aunt had won the Florida State Lottery, $27 million clean, was the only winner. So he and his wife went from a drug den to being set up and being taken care of for the rest of their lives. Wow. Right? But my father didn't want me to know because I would ask him for my money back that he stole from me. Right. So he hid the fact that his his extended family had won the lottery so he wouldn't have to pay me back the thousands of dollars he stole. That's like that's how my father's brain worked. God. How do you have any how can you be in a healthy relationship? You, you mentioned I, I didn't think you ever wanted to get married. Every time I've spoken to you, I knew you and your 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 significant other had been <laughs> Some together. Say I for, still don't want to get married. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Why did you agree to get? Because here's my question: When you have a woman who emasculates you, beats you, and 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 you know, how can you ever be in a healthy relationship with a woman? Because you begin to just hate women. I mean, it's not even conscious. But, you know, this is a woman who just, you know, the, the, the I found in Chloe, I found someone who actually loves me as crazy as that sounds to me. And I can't believe that she loves me. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how did, how did she prove my, how, how did she, because in your mind, there's probably levels. When was the day you realized she really loves me? Not Billy the rock star, but, but, but she loves me. I think, I think the day my son was born, I saw it, you know what I mean? I, I, or I felt it. I understood that this was different. Yeah. It's hard to quantify quickly, but now I've tested that many times and I've, I've questioned it many times and, and, uh, you know, to her credit, like when she just wouldn't give up on the idea of being married, I made her admit all the reasons she wanted to get married. One of which was also financial security. But that made me trust her because I was like, at least you're putting your cards on the table. Right. Because I would have women be like, no, I don't care about who you are and I don't care about all that. It's like total bullshit. <laughs> and look, anybody who's worth their salt should want to be in a successful relationship and security should be part of that. And me sharing my 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 success with her and my family is not a big deal to me because that's not who I am anyway. So it doesn't matter. But. I, I, I somehow I found somebody 26 years younger, God forbid how that even worked, who just likes me. And, and, and she tells me all the time, I actually really like you. And I'm like, how is it possible? I, she likes being I'm, with I'm, you. And, and you've been together 10 years and you have two children together. And w what happened? You finally proposed. You finally said, did you get down on one knee and say, Chloe, I've been a <laughs> fool. I, I'm no, in I love with that. Okay. It was her 30th birthday, and I gave her a picture of a ring that I had designed. And she immediately, of course, changed the design, but that was her, that was her engagement. <laughs> She's still right. mad I didn't propose. I just kind of gave her a picture of the ring. And even that day, I was going back and forth in my mind, like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. But I finally made the decision, like, look, you've lived your whole life a certain way, and it hasn't worked. <laughs> try something you've new. You've been with this person for 10 years. Right. Do something new. Try, try, try to try to lean into success as opposed to waiting for failure, right? You have two kids. Your kids are great. 
your home is stable. Um, it's a beautiful person, a talented person. Do for them what you wish somebody would do for you. Stop waiting for somebody to do for you what you wish they do for you. Why don't you do for somebody what you think is right? And I finally right. was able to work all that out in my head. Wow. She must have been shocked. Billy Corgan. Yeah. Getting married. Who knew? <laughs> me. <Jeez>. Not me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Why do you, you know, with all the shit that went down, why do you live like 30 minutes from where you grew up? Why did you never, like, just get the fuck out of town? Why do you think you hung around? I tried. I lived in, and I lived in Soho in New York. I lived in, you know, above the Beverly Hills Hotel in LA. I mean, I, I did it. I did it all. I tried to get out every time and I went home every time. And I asked myself sometimes, like, what the hell am I doing here? Right. You know, I have a cafe, uh, Madame Zuzu's north of the city and I go in there all the time and, you know, people know it's mine and they come say hi. And, you know, this, the guy wants to talk about the bears and I'm like, oh my God, I'm still having this fucking conversation about the bears. You know what I mean? Like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck am I doing here? I should be with Axel on a private plane right now. You know what I mean? Like, why <laughs> right. am I here? The best answer I can give you is something about being home quiets my mind and allows me to work. When I get to New York or L.A. too much, I start to get insecure by all that shit that goes on in, in these towns. You know, like you go in for a dinner reservation as you're standing there and the, the, the guy who doesn't know who you are or maybe knows who you are but doesn't care. And then some D-level actor walks in and everybody run, runs around like Jesus just walked in. I'm like, fuck this town. I can't do this, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Like when you L.A., L.A., D-level actors are more important in L.A. than rock stars. Okay, I cannot do the math on that. I understand why they do the math on that. I can't do that math. Right. Right. Yeah, what is like in that? the world I grew up in, rock stars are number one. Like, even if you don't want to count me among the... Okay, if you don't want to count me among them, that's fine. But for me, Ozzy's a fucking god. You know, Jimmy Page is a god. You know what I mean? These people, Tony Iommi, these people are gods to me. They should right. be given like every ounce of respect and dignity that you can give someone who's accomplished something in life. And you get to this town and it's like, oh, here comes the here comes the guy who was the extra zombie. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> we got to get him a table. You know, Billy, you're so right, because, you know, to me, musicians were prophets. I got more out of music than I did religion. I had so much like religion was beaten into me. And it never registered. I, it just seemed like a fairy tale and it made no sense and it was gobbledygook. But I'd listen to George Harrison's All Things Must Pass and I think this guy's a prophet. He's, he's hitting notes and, and, and it's, he's making me feel nothing makes me feel like music does. And, and, and you're right. You go to LA and, uh, it's weird. It, you, it pissed you off. You're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, it's like, it's like I'm living in Satan's den. Well, if I'm living in Satan's den, then, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with Satan's den. So I had to get out. Yeah. Are some of your, I always look at who you, once in a while, you've got so many original songs, but some, once in a while you'll do a cover version. And, um, I, I was looking at the list of some of the things you'll cover either in concert or on an album, but, but, uh, Space Oddity, Bowie, you'll do that. And it's interesting to me, too. Sometimes, there you are. Such a great song, right? Oh, such a great song. I love 
your your arrangement of this. You, when you get loud right at that moment with your guitar and it gets all gritty, you know it's going to send chills up your audience, right? You know what you know, <laughs> I don't know what about you're doing. Chills. I just I want the power. Like, it's a power the, thing for me. I love the power of that. I was and you know and I was thinking about um, Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> How much? Uh, what do you do when you decide to cover? Is it a lot of angst because you're you're paying homage to certain people? Is there like this is? What did Led Zeppelin mean to you? And did you ever hang with these guys? A little bit, yeah. Where do you hang with them? Actually, uh, somewhere there's a picture of me with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant at my 33rd birthday. They just happened to be at the next table, and they were nice enough because I knew them from before, and they got up and said hello and. You know, I've, I've crossed paths with them here and there. They're very kind, yeah. And what about Bowie? Bands t- yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time with Bowie. I mean, not a ton of time, but enough to where I got to know him a bit. Um, it's interesting because I think with guys like Page and Plant and Bowie, they built what we all live in now. Like, they, they created something that hadn't been created before. That's right. Um, and so... You have to look at them as, like you said, like prophets or something. Like they figured something out that we saw still a benefit from. It's not just the music. So to me, paying homage is, is, is deeper than I love this song, which I love this song, but it's more about showing like, Hey, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this stuff. You know what I mean? Was, was someone like Bowie a, a difficult guy or a disappointment to you? I've met some of my heroes and, and sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes it's fabulous, but. When you hung with Bowie, were you like, oh, God, he's just a guy, you know, or or were you just blown no. out by him? No, I, I was I was actually surprised how shy he was. I would I never have an, figured him for sh- a shy person. I saw an interview with him on, on Instagram or one of these things recently where he said he was not impressed with the music of Paul McCartney. I don't know if they had before. I mean, how can you not be impressed with the music of Paul? I think he, I saw that clip actually myself, and I just think he was being jealous. Yeah, you can get like that sometimes, right? Yeah, of course. Listen, it's and you've asked me in the past about bands of our generation. You know, it's competitive in there. Oh fuck! And if yeah. you're Bowie, you know, at some point. Yeah, it's Paul McCartney, but who cares? Like, get out of my way. I'm Bowie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and right. he's not wrong, right? He's not wrong. And yeah. by the way, he might have been commenting when Paul was singing, like, you know, I don't know, one of those songs that Paul can write that, you know, you, you, you want to throw yourself out a window over, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm always, I'm always blown out by like this, uh, Laurel Canyon scene when, uh, you know, James Taylor and Crosby, Stills and Nash and you, you go over to Mama Cass's uh, place. That seemed ideal, like a commune of musicians all kind of hanging together. Does that appeal to you or are you such oh, yeah. a loner? Yeah, you like that idea. No, I would love it. I would love it. It's like a dream, but most musicians are very, very, um, inward facing. Would you yeah, be hesitant? Part- would you be hesitant in a scene like that? Like, oh, he's going to steal my song or, you know, or like Butch is going to go run off and give Nirvana my guitar sound or, you know what I mean? Like, like it's hard to be collaborative that way and, and hang out with other musicians too. No, let, me, let me say it this way. Musicians need to play together. The music business encourages you not to do that. Right, right. The music business creates a false sense of competition. I, it's easy to sit here and say, I don't know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters and Green Day and Nine Inch Nails, this is my competition. They're not my competition. I'm my competition. Right. 
I can make them my competition and make it personal. And I could sit here and tell you for an hour why, but it's not real. The competition is with myself. When you heard the Nine Inch Nails for the first time, were you sitting there going, like back in the day when you saw them maybe as your competition, were you like, oh, fuck, look at these guys. I thought they were great. I thought you they thought were they great. were great. Yeah. Yes. I, I went out of my way to to say they were great um, and, and was supportive because I thought what he was doing was important. And I think what I saw there held up, you know, it stood the test of time. James Taylor, you do this in uh, Fire and Rain. I never would think you would do Fire and Rain. What, what, what about James Taylor? Was he an important guy to you when you were growing up and listening to music? See, this takes me back. Uh, <laughs> my stepmother used to listen to the like the Yacht Rock station back in the 70s. Fleetwood Mac, James Taylor. I used to call it wicker music because everybody sat in wicker chairs. Remember wicker chairs? Sure. Okay, ferns and wicker chairs and yeah. steel lamps. So I hated this music. So my my playing it is a way to sort of make my peace with it, if it makes any sense. Oh, wow, James that's interesting. Great. And this is yeah. a great song. But I mean, I hated what James Taylor in that world stood for when I was a kid. Because I associated it with my stepmother in that vibe. Oh, God. Does it make sense? <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's so interesting. Because I was also thinking that you would cover after the gold rush. Uh, when you did this on our show. And Neil Young meant something to you, too, right? He's he's one of the greatest songwriters, in my opinion, of all time. Am I correct? I love Neil. When he went after Rogan, though, that's when that's when he lost me. You didn't like He that. went so hard after Joe Rogan. I didn't like that. Because Neil represents to me a sense of freedom. And I love Neil. I mean, I adore Neil. And he's always been very kind to me. But when someone who I held up as a god... And it, in, in my eyes, uh, rep represents a set of values, and then somehow it seems to go against those values. I found that really confusing. So I, I found it hard to listen to Neil's music, not because I don't love Neil, but I just don't understand that. Because well, Neil was part remember, of that generation that cre that created what we live in this this sense of creative freedom. Well, I guess the is, controversy was that Neil felt um, there was bad information being about medically. I mean, I don't want to go into the weeds with it, but I guess he felt, I don't want to be a part of that platform. You know, I, I mean, but from the music... There's ahead. a big difference between saying I disagree and wanting to silence somebody. I see. As an artist, I have a problem with anybody being silenced because... How do you know at some point they're not going to try to silence me because I, I don't know, something I did or said. That's I don't want to live in that world. That's my point. So I take it you won't be, I have an exclusive here. You will not be covering this song anymore. This is, I have the last uh, <laughs> appearance of that. <laughs> there it is. No, I love I love Neil. I, I love him. He's, he's great. Me too. It just, I do too. But that's, now, but look, you said, you said about heroes. Like, is, is it the hero's fault that they do something that disappoints you? Or is that something that you've created that's not fair? You understand? Have you, you ever been somewhere? People put stuff on me. Yeah, of course they do all the time. Well, you're right. But 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 have you ever have you ever experienced in your career so far where a bunch of musicians that we wouldn't even know about this you got together and had like a private session where you guys all jammed together, almost like a super group kind of concept where you said to so and so, so and so, and so and so, you take the drums, I'll play rhythm. Have you ever been a part of something like that? A little bit, but not much. I, my, my, my musical life's basically been solitary or with the band. That's pretty much Who'd you do it experience. with? Who, who were the people you were with when you started? 
Uh, we did a, we did a sideband called Spirits in the Sky. It was about 2000, gosh, nine. Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction was in it. Uh, Mark Weitz, who was an original member of the Strawberry Alarm Clock, was in it. Mark Tulin, who was in the Electro Poons, was pioneering psychedelic band. Um, wow. my, my friend Mina, who's like a violinist, we kind of just put together a group of people just wanted to play music and we wrote some songs and went out and played some songs, did like nine gigs. It was really fun. That's as close as I've ever come to that kind of Laurel Canyon thing that you're talking about. What was the song where you used, I, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, um, the, you know, uh, Steven Tyler was telling me once on, um, I think it was on either Sweet Emotion, he played a sugar packet. And I think it's here. Oh, this is the song <laughs> I wanted to pull up. Yeah. What what are those sounds right here in the beginning that we're hearing? What are you using? Is it like something like a sugar packet or something like that? That clicking S- type? scissors, salt shaker. Um, we just have like because Pink Floyd once famously was trying to make an album using household items for sounds, and they abandoned right. it. So it was like it was like paying homage to this idea that you could take things from around the house and make music or something. It was some so you silly took, idea that day. You took scissors. I'm hearing scissors, a salt shaker. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You don't even Spatula. remember. I don't know. It's bad. Wow. No, it's, it was just like, crazy. but this is the thing when you, and it, it, it's like you, you record for thousands of hours and just one day you get bored and you go, let's do this silly thing. And <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting before you guys are going to play live. Smashing pumpkins are here. They're going to play two songs for us. We are not only celebrating the world is a vampire tour tickets on sale, March 31st at 10 a.m. Are you excited to go back out on tour? You probably are. You love it. I love this. I love this bill because we're playing with Interpol and Rival Sons. And on some of the dates, it'll be Stone Temple Pilots and Rival Sons. So I love the bill. I'm trying to bring back the kind of the true alternative festival feel uh, where all the freaks can go hang out. And um, so it'll and be music and it'll be like the, the, oh, wrestlers, too. Yeah, we have wrestling, too, a little bit. So it's just it's <laughs> it's meant to be. A, it's I think I think with all the changes in the festival circuits. The alternative, like the true alternative music festival has gotten set aside a little bit. So we're trying to bring that back. I see. So that's going to be the tour. And um, then you've got the new, well, it's the final act of uh, Autumn. I say Autumn. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Autumn. A-T-U-M. Autumn. I think it's, I think it's supposed to be Atum. Atum. But I call it Autumn. But do you I only you know. You do, you do call Atum. it Autumn? Atum. Well, I, it, the, cor- the correct pronunciation, which <laughs> I'm not from Egypt, I believe is Atum. Right. <laughs> Why would you name an album Atum? And if you don't, you're not sure how to you name, how, how to say it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that you makes see sense. My parents didn't love me, Robin. <laughs> right. That's it. No wonder people question you. But um, uh, there's, um, it's it's a rock opera. It's three yeah, albums. It's totally You've insane. already. It's insane. I mean, uh, no one's doing rock operas anymore, but that's homage no. to the Who, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's well, it's all Bowie, everybody, uh, Pink Floyd. Right. It's an homage to the. It's an homage to a belief that you can do something bigger than yourself. Everybody, but everybody, told me it was a bad idea to do this. Right. And I kept saying, I know it was a bad idea when I started, but I like the idea of jumping in and doing something that you're not supposed to do and seeing what happens. Right. And so we made this crazy rock opera, which is super complicated, involves all these crazy themes, and and we're having a lot of success. This is the most success we've had in 20 years. So we've gone back to doing what we're good at, which is just make music, be a little silly, have some fun, and people seem to respond. So 
when you listen, when you when you when you're in the music business and people try to talk you out of making music, that is the craziest thing in the world. Well, you, what drives you is you said, I think you famously said that I don't want my children to see me as like a has been or, a, you know, I still yeah. want to make new music. That's the thing. I don't I want to be just doing my hits. When my kids come up on stage with me, generally, they come up with the with the song Beguiled, which has been a very successful song at radio, which, you know, thank I love that matters. song. Beguiled. They're not coming up when I'm doing Tonight Tonight. They're, they're, we're playing Beguiled, right? I love this song. This is from the from part two. A tune. Yes, sir. So swallow high the serpents Of many tags and That's a good riff. I can't figure it out. Billy, I can't figure it out. Like, do you start with that riff? I, I want to yes. write a song. So, so it's like... You start with that. That's it. That's all I and have. And then what do you... That's all you had. And then what do I do? Wait, I, I, I could get to that part, but what do I do next? You want some inside songwriting stuff? Is that yeah. what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, okay. I need it. Okay, what kind of guitar is this? Prop. What are you this playing? Is, it's, my, it's my signature Reverend guitar, if you want to know, which is which is based on trying to get that Tony Iommi song sound that I always want. Do you use different guitars for different sounds, or are you saying that's bullshit? Like, I just, I got... Oh, no, I use tons of different guitars. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite guitar? Okay. Right now, this guitar. Actually, I'll play this, not that guitar, but I play that model when we're going to play here in a minute. Um, it, it just love the sound of it. And guitars have different sounds. Like, it, it's not oh, bullshit. Yeah. A Fender Telecaster is very different from a Gibson, a Les Paul, or, or you know, it's, something It's like more that. the emotional notes that a, a guitar can hit. For me, I'm ever in pursuit of this Tony Iommi thing that I love. So I made like a modern version of the Tony sound, basically. So that's what you're reacting to. So you sat down, you had this riff in your head, but you don't have the song yet. You just got this I have nothing. riff. I nothing. just have this. Da, 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 that's it. That's all I have. And, and it sounds, beat. and it sounds sexy to you. It's I like, love you know, it. You love it, and you play it over and yeah. over and over again. Okay, so here's the problem. This is a common pub, uh, pumpkin problem. You start a riff with a really good song. I start a song with a really good riff. You, the next thing has to elevate the song because if you don't do it right, the song starts to get boring. Right. So if you hear the change that comes up, it's kind of the Zeppelin riff that we do. That's coming up after the verse. And then we have the Judas Priest chorus. So that's slash accept if you want to know your metal roots. Wow. And I watched the music video. Is it shot in one take? In other words, one long one take. take? Yeah, we did it live for TikTok, one take. <laughs> do you do that because you just don't want to sit there and make videos anymore? Or you do it because it's a challenge? Well, budgets are an issue, and so you get yourself into a situation where you want to do something fun, and you don't have $500,000 to spend like you did on Tonight Tonight, so what are you going to do? Right. It's it's better to fall on your face than, than try to be perfect. You know, how many videos have we seen of people slow, uh, slow motion walking in the desert? Like, we don't need that video anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, you've done that. So me in a video with Abe Lincoln and my kids and Jimmy's sons in the video, and we had ballerinas, and we just had a good time. Uh, here's I have a single nobody's heard before. This is you're giving me an exclusive. Ah, uh -huh. uh, this is called Spellbinding. Let me see what you did here. Let me see the. Now this is a different sound for you. you can tell right off the bat you're in a new place.
that your wife? Oh. There you go. That's big. Yeah. That's that's why they like it. <laughs> Now, it's all part of the concept. Who picks the single and does it matter anymore? I mean, they, the music business has changed so much. Do, do you have a meeting with a record company and they say, hey, let, let, this is it? We work with a company called 30 Tigers that's sort of like, it's not a record company. They sort of create a record company for an artist. So it's right. like they put the pieces together for you, which is awesome. And they have a radio team. And so you have a lot of discussions and they talk to people and they play songs and they come back and they say, we think this is what's going to work. Um, it's it's a bit Machiavelli, and it's not like the old days where you kind of play a hunch and hopefully right. A-Rock's going to play the song. Those days are over. You know, it's weird. Uh, you're probably now in this part of your life more open to hearing other people's opinion. Probably back in the oh, day. Oh, very much say, so. Fuck you. This is the single. I don't want to hear from you, you know? Well, the, my only, my only, my reservation with this when people would wanted this to be the first single was you're picking this because it has the classic Pumpkins chorus, and I get suspicious of that. Because sometimes people think, oh, it sounds like the pumpkin, so it's going to work. And, and that doesn't always work. So we, we in Beguiled, we picked the right first song, and it's been very successful. So um, so I'm, now, I'm, now I'm more open to putting this one out. You ready to play live right sure, here in course, the studio? Yeah. You're going to bring in the I band? I have to take off uh, my snow gear and bring the band in. So You're warm by now. <laughs> Should we jump um, into it? Yeah, Yeah, come on. What are we going to do first? We're going to do uh, a new song first? No, you, you, re as always, whatever you request, I'm happy to play for you. So we're going to do 1979. 1979. I'll tell you my theory on this song while you're setting up. He really is wearing way, an overcoat in there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Billy's cold. It's cold in our studio. Um, uh, Jimmy, Ch Jimmy Chamberlain is here on drums. Matt McJunkins is on bass. And, you know, and, and Jeff and James, let me say hi to these guys while they're setting up. Yeah. But I also want to give Billy my theory on uh, 1979, which he's going to play live. Now, maybe I'm full of shit, but um, can you hear me, Billy? I can. I can hear you. All right. You, I think 1979 is dealing with maybe I'm nuts, but to me, 79 means it's almost the 80s. But you're leaving the 70s, and you don't know what's ahead. What do you think of that interpretation? Incorrect. <laughs> but emotionally, Shit. you're right. No, emotionally, you're right. I don't know why I called it 1979, because I wrote a poem. So all the lyrics from the song are exactly from the poem. I wrote the song, and I, I just picked up this poem, and I thought, maybe I'll sing these lyrics. So it was weird. I never wrote the lyrics to the song. Um, and the first line was Shakedown 1979, or which I oh. changed to 7-9. But it just seemed to fit the emotion of leaving youth behind and looking at your life to come. And as I've told the story a few times, I was sitting at a stoplight when I was like 17 years old on a rainy, horrible Chicago day. And that's what I wrote the song from, this emotion. Wow. So You're, you're right emotionally, but it, for some, it has nothing to do with 1979 other than some of the stuff you and I talked about, which is that period of my life was like total disaster. So maybe there's some connection there. You wrote this song when you were that young? No, no. What I'm saying is, is maybe even though it's, t it's talking more about the 80s, maybe, you know, in my, in some weird quantum level, 79 is where everything okay. went totally wrong. Got it. Around, okay. or actually around 12 years old was when things got really, really bad. So maybe on some level I'm talking about things were bad uh, in 79 and now it's 
now Got it's it. 89 and I'm moving. I don't know. Because the, the, the thing with poetry is like, who the hell knows what you're saying half the time? You know, because it has to sound good coming out of your mouth, too. Like, when I sing it, it makes sense to me. If I just read it as a poem, I'm not sure it would make sense, right? But when I right. sing it, I feel that feeling you're talking about. Hey, pumpkins, how are you guys? Everybody good? Still with me? Want to say hello? hello? Hey, James. James, what kind of guitar are you playing? This is a Fender Stratocaster. See, I that's what I would play. play. Stratocasters. Yeah. You don't? Ah. Why are you playing a Stratocaster? <clears throat> that kind of song. <laughs> See, he, I, I always played the Strat, and he always played the Gibson, and now I'm playing the Gibson, he's playing the Strat, so that's the... <laughs> wonder what the, I wonder why. I mean, I mean, I don't know what's happening there. Let me say hi to Jeff. Jeff, what kind of guitar are you playing? Um, this is a Yamaha guitar. Guys look so cool with your guitars. Fucking should have played guitar <laughs> instead you. of beating off my whole life. How many hours of practice you guys figured you oh did? My God, like, you have no idea. I mean, you just. It... What do you mean, like pers personal practice? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it goes through phases, but I, I, I still like to practice. I'll practice two or three hours a day sometimes still. Wow. And what will you practice? Will you play actual songs or do you just sit there and shred or what What do you do? Shred. Just honestly, yes, yeah, shred. <laughs> His nickname show me is what the you do. Can you show me what you do when you practice? Can you just do, do a little bit of your practice? <laughs> I can't. No, it's too <laughs> Come on. Do it. Do a little practice. Come on, just just show it. me what you do. Come on. I can't. I can't. You I can like do it. it. Stop it. You know, something like that, you know? Like a really? That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if, to a metronome, to a click. If I do that, I'll get as good as you? Yeah, of course. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let me say hi to Jimmy on drums. Jimmy, how are you? How are you? Good, yeah. yeah I'm good. You all right, man? I'm good, yeah. You practice every day? I do. I try to. Let me yeah, hear I'm you a, practice. I'm a big practicer. What? All right, show me what you do when you practice. So, Just to stay, keep okay. your chops. All right. Yeah. This is Jimmy. Listen to him. I show just found a, like a drum school in my neighborhood. I'm going to go there and start doing yeah. it. Yeah, we're, we're starting at the right age. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right? you, in other words, Billy, you got to be obsessive, right? You sat with your guitar every day. And what did you practice? Like, how do you get good? Like, what are the things you practiced? Um, I used to, <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. I used to sit in the dark and, and, and just basically play scales with one hand. So I play. How do you do that? Show me how you do that. I just sit and do that for hours. Really? <laughs> yeah, but that's you know, why I, I have no life. But Yeah, but it's so smart. I used to sit there and beat off and read comic books. And if I had done that, <laughs> if I had done these scales, I, God knows I would have been in a band up with you guys. And and Matt, you're on bass. You practice every day too, Matt? Uh, yeah. Ish. I teach, so I have to kind of stay up. Oh, you teach? If, if nothing else for that. How fucking cool is that? Hey, you know who my teacher is? The guy in the Smashing Pumpkins. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. Well, listen, guys, I can't wait to uh, hear uh, 1979. You know, we love this song and uh, and uh, I'll shut my mouth now.
That's beautiful. Woo! How many times do you think that song's been played on the radio? I mean, oh my god! I mean, it must be crazy happen. numbers. What, 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 what? You know what I dig with you guys? What is what is all that gear on the floor? It looks so fucking cool. I wish I had some gear like that. <laughs> That's a bunch of guitar like, nerd pedals and yeah. I mean, foot pedals. I, I, I mean, what kind of what kind of foot pedals you got there, James? I, I mean, you got an impressive array of foot pedals. It's it's very high tech. Um, <laughs> in order Is to it? program it, you have to use the laptop. That's how far wow. it's gone. You use a laptop to change the sound. I knew when he, he only had a Telecaster and and a, and a little amp. And now he's boss got a whole spaceship. No, yeah, it's a and spaceship. Who, James, do you have the computer program yourself, or you have a guy who who uh, programs all those pedals for you? I have a guy. You have a guy. <laughs> It, 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 would Multiple I be putting guys. you on? But, but James, would I be putting you on the spot if I said demonstrate the different sounds you can get out of these pedals? I, I'm just curious with, with that guitar you got there. What, what what happens when you hit the pedal? I mean, it can be clean. It can be crazy. It could be cosmic. It can be. What is clean? Tell, show me clean right now with that guitar. What is clean? <laughs> Thank you. 
Wow. What a difference. All the, just a couple buttons you have to step on. And then, so why do you need different guitars? Because if you, you got these pedals that change the sound of the guitar. I'm so confused. Fuck. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I can you at this learn point. You've got to learn all that too, Howard. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I could learn all this gear. You know what I mean? It's insane. Um, the new song you're going to play, Empires. Yes, sir. What can we say about this song? Was this one of those that came to you like in a minute or did you struggle with this one? No, I worked on this one a while. Um, it, you know, the whole, the, it falls in the rock concept. It's like the bad government people song. So it's all about in other words, taking over the world. This is you saying the government is uh, bad. I believe the word is technocracy. Right. You're using the technocracy to take. So now it'll be AI and, you know, you know, you, I can't get your, I can't get my money because you posted something on social media. And, you know, we're into this other crazy dystopian world. So it's got something to do with all that. Just a happy, see. a happy lark in the park. <laughs> doesn't sound doesn't sound like the future's too rosy, quite frankly. <laughs> now, what about the boys? Do they know this song, Billy? Have you rehearsed it with them, or is this the first time they're doing it all together? Uh, no, we, live? We've, we've been playing this song on tour. This is this is how we open our show. Generally, this is this is a good rocker. <laughs> this is a rocker the crowd going, and and everybody is comfortable playing this song. I'm not going to hear any mistakes. I mean, this in other words, this is very important. Uh, we're going to get this right, and James. I notice uh, you will sing harmonies. Will you be singing harmonies on this song? I will not. You will not. There are no this, harmonies on this particular on this particular track. No. When did is was that important to you, Billy, to find a cohort that could sing and and harmonize with you when when you and James hooked up? Were you like, oh shit, thank God this guy can sing? Uh, you know, we I think honestly, vocal harmony was so beyond us when we were kids. The idea right. that we could sing anything was like so outside our our skill set. So um, was there a yeah, moment when, when you two looked at each other and said, "Man, we can sing together. You can harmonize with me." No, I think we always looked at it as like two lead singers. You know, James has always kind of sung his own songs in the band, and I think we saw it more that way. I see. You know what I mean, because harmony is like some. I, I to this day, I'm not a good harmonizer. Right. Or, I mean, it's such yeah. A, I mean. Cross, we're not the Everly Crosby's, Brothers, is what we're trying to say. Right. <laughs> Good They're not Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, I guess. <laughs> Billy, do you love James because he can harmonize with you and he can sing? Is it a love affair? Do you, are you guys in love or, or not? You know, what I really appreciate is that is that James has a very different perspective on guitar than I do. And when we were very young and we didn't really know who we were yet, somehow what he brought to the table, what I brought to the table, it created like the pumpkin sound. But people talk about the pumpkin sound, right? And I, and I love that. Like I, I think Rick Rubin said it best because uh, when James came back into the band after you know sixteen or so years, we did it. We did some work with Rick Rubin, and uh, and he he pulled me aside and he said, "I get I get what I get why James is important to the pumpkins," and and he, and I go, "What is it?" He goes, "He softens your metal." Like you're more into the metal and James is a little bit more into the softer side of that. And when you guys play together, that creates that thing. It's like a, it's heavy, but it's, it's not like, it's not metal. It's a yin and so a yang. I thought, I, I thought it was cool that Rick fi saw that, you know, Rick's, Rick's got such great ears. He kind of figured that out. Nobody had ever mentioned that, but I knew it, but like he put it into words. I thought it was cool. My, my problem with James and James, I hope you don't mind me saying this. It's hard to get a word in edgewise with you. You know, you're so. <laughs> <laughs> verbose <laughs> i know i know yeah. i'm sorry yeah. 
You got to get him drunk. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll take that as a challenge. Now, now, are you guys ready with your pedals on the floor? James, do you have your we're, pedals? We're ready to rock. Yeah. You're ready to rock. Okay. All right, boys. This is a new song, Empires. You know what I say? Fuck you, government. Right? <laughs> right, Billy? Come on. Yeah. Jeez, that's a good one. Thank you. 
Very powerful. See how that can get the audience going right away. Yeah. Oh, my God. I took off my top. Listen. <laughs> I'm with you, man. These spy robots, they got to go. Fuck them. Well, listen. You were all new music a week ago. Not anymore. <laughs> Not since I heard that song. <laughs> well, boys, what can I say? I'm excited about the tour. Smashing pumpkins, going out. Boys will be sharing one hotel room. <laughs> all these guys sleeping in one room and going from little town to town and doing their thing. And you must see it. The world is a vampire tour. And man, ain't that true. The world really is a vampire. They suck the fucking life out of you. You know it. Who you knew? boys know who it. Knew? I, the, I, who knew the line would stick? <laughs> yeah, I knew. When I heard that line, I said, now someone's talking my language. And uh, listen, the final act of Atum, a rock opera in three acts is out May 5th. Big tour. Billy does not live in L.A. He stays in the same hometown. Can't take it. <laughs> Doesn't understand why the rock stars are treated like shit out in L.A., and I'm with them on that, too. <laughs> Fuck L.A. I mean, that's it. What are we going to do? Hey, by the way, on a sad note, though, I know you were friends with Lisa Marie Presley. You actually, yes, uh, yes. Yes. And, uh, and, and I was shocked to learn that she had reached out to you to actually uh, help her with her album. Everyone wants your help, but I guess you were busy. She was busy. It didn't work out, but... Uh, no, I, I did work it? with her on one album. I right. think the, the, the confusion on that is, is I think she wanted me to do more and I was super busy and we were friends. And so I did do some work, but looking back, I wished I'd sort of taken more possession of it because she never really got her music thing off the ground. And she was, she was actually really talented. And it's a shame if you get a chance to hear her voice, she inherited a lot of her father's great mm -hmm. um, depth in the voice. And it's a shame that she didn't make more music. Nice woman. Uh, she was fantastic. Work. She was awesome. She was awesome. It's a that's a tough one. That was really hard for me because she was she was she's one a one of a kind person. The the world really didn't know her because they of course they always know her as Elvis's daughter. But she was a really really cool unique person. Did she ever say to you, you know, I really didn't know Elvis. Like that's one of the pain. It's a great pain in my life. Did she ever uh, talk to you about Elvis? No, we talked about we talked about her father a lot. In fact, she had very fond memories of her father and. I think she was seven or eight when he passed, so she did remember him, and and she she had really glowing things to say about her father. I got I got to know her father through her in a way that I've never seen in public. So I got wow. this like first front row seat of what Elvis the person was like. And if you know what Elvis the person was like from her perspective, Elvis is even more amazing than he already is. It's kind of crazy, but he was really a unique person. Were you an Elvis fan? I mean, I, it, it, it was totally oh, yeah. lost on me. Beatles were it for me. That's when I got into music and I was like, I, and I was hooked. But Elvis didn't mean much to me. You know, I, I just, for some reason, it, it eluded me. I think the difficulty with Elvis is, is if you look at it from completely a musicology point of view, he's arguably the single most important musical artist, you know, since they started recording artists. Because no one changed things more than he did. The problem is what happens afterwards. He gets in the music business. He starts making the schlocky movies. Right. His talent was, you could argue, greater than any any singular person in music's ever had talent. He, his talent was was at, at a level that's almost incomparable. I mean, it's like Michael Jackson and Prince. Like if he's at that at that level, but unfortunately, it's mixed with a lot of things where people don't see the talent because it he just comes across as a personality or something.
And you probably relate to his story because he had bad management. He had people in his ear telling him and controlling him and doing all that shit, just like what you well, were talking about. I mean, he about. never went to Europe. I mean, just think about Elvis. He never went to Europe one time. No, How crazy right? is that? didn't leave the country except yeah, for crazy. the army. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, well, I mean, I mean, just the fact that, like, imagine how many fans never got a chance to see him in his pride. It's so crazy. Right. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, the world is a vampire tour, and the world is a vampire, it turns out. And this is what we're talking about today. Well, listen, you guys, you sound magnificent. If you get a chance to see these boys, uh, you, I think you should go see them. Enrich the, yourself. Um, Take it. Yes. Yeah. Go see some guys who know how to fucking play. They ain't, they ain't, uh, they're not screwing around. They're not a sing and play. And you don't see a lot of bands who can do that anymore. Tickets on sale March 31st, 10 a.m. New single Spellbinding, final act of Atom, a rock opera in three acts out May 5th. James, when Billy came to you and said he was writing a, a rock opera and we're going to perform one, you were like, what the fuck is this guy on, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I was surprised, but not surprised. Right. I guess. <laughs> gotta go with the flow. You I mean, gotta go with He's known me since I was what? We met when I was 19, you were 18, something like that. So he's known me. He's, he's seen it all. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's nothing that surprises you anymore. Nothing surprises him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, of course, always hear Smashing Pumpkins on Sirius XM's Lithium Channel 34. And there you go. And, and hey, uh, Matt, I, I need to get some lessons from you. How can I get in touch and how do we uh, set up a couple of sessions where I can start playing bass? You got a, a, a little bit of a commercial. Call my people, I guess. Call your yeah. people. All right. Thank you. Come, yeah. Well, thank you. I would <laughs> Anytime. Like to learn you're not kidding. All right. Listen, good luck with the tour. Good luck with the new album. Uh, Billy, thanks for all of your honesty. Uh, you know, I always love talking to you. I never get tired of it. And, um, and when's that book coming out that you've been writing for 75 oh, geez, years? Yeah. I mean, my God, I mean. Where are we with that? What happened? Where's the book? It's not going well at the moment. All right. I got to get married. I got to get married. There you go. There you go. But uh, James, you're looking forward to that wedding, huh? Oh, yeah. He was at the last one. (laughs) I was married once before. (laughs) Right. That's, That's right. That's right. Right. Well, there you go. There's a lot to talk about the next time. All right. Thanks, guys. Smashing Pumpkins, you, Billy Corgan. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Right. Bye. You guys going to have a bachelor party? Oh, they're gone. Okay. Just <laughs> trying to get an invite. You know it'll be wild. Love a bachelor party, don't you? Absolutely. You know me. I'm king of the bachelor parties. Robin, we have it to do it all over again tomorrow. There's a lot to get to. I won't even tease what's happening on tomorrow's show. I don't want to. Well, I have to say just one thing. Watching them play and that new set of pedals on the ground yes pedals oh my goodness yes that was amazing i was like geez um i guess the world the future is bright because look at how technology and music are are marrying together and becoming even greater if i was in a band i'd have shitloads of pedals i would be constantly involved (laughs) with my pedals on the floor all right we'll see you everything would be a pedal everything would be a pedal we'll see you tomorrow bye